Let's get sweaty. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the Shenmue Dojo Show. I am James Brown and I'm joined as always by my compadre, Mr. Matthew, four-day stag do, Oliver. <laughs> four-day stag do, I survived, I survived. How's it going, James, alright? Yeah, all good, man. So you've recovered, have you now? Yeah, hard work, I'll tell you what, I can't do it anymore. I'm, I'm too old for that shit. <laughs> was it a bit of a, a big bender then, was it? It escalated quickly. Bearing in mind on Saturday we did something called canyoning, which is basically jumping off of like cliffs into rivers okay it's quite quite physical so you go back and then you start drinking and you can imagine where it ended up the bottom of rear <laughs> <laughs> pretty much <laughs> all right cool well alongside myself and matt today we have a very very special guest this man needs no introduction but i'm going to give him a decent one anyway so without further ado welcoming to the show for the very first time all the way from ireland its previous shemu dojo owner shemu lounge speedrunner shemu one and two script holder the Irish maestro, Peter, mother. <laughs> is that, that a bit too much? It's this is being, Campbell, this, we're not recording, are we not? This is being edited out, right? You put it on my leg. Come on. No, that was... We I, are recording. Oh, hey, we are recording. you know, is that all? Like, I mean, you could have squeezed a few more in there. I, mean, I, I could have done, but I thought <laughs> it was a little bit too much as it was, so... I'm starting to feel like Apollo Creed and Rocky Ford. Do you know when he get announced for, like, 15 names whenever he's about to fight even Drago? That's it, isn't it? I just want to give you a nice big build-up there. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. It's good to be here. Right, so in case anyone is unaware of who you are, and we're maybe lost with the, you know, some of the stuff I mentioned in that introduction. Could you give the listeners a quick self rundown? How you discovered Chemu? What was it about the series that captured you? And briefly, the path you went down to becoming the owner of the Dojo before ourselves. Sure. Um. Well, firstly, getting into Shenmue, it was the first of October. Is it nineteen ninety nine or two thousand? Can't remember the year. It was between three thirty and four p.m. in the afternoon. <laughs> you can remember and, the time, but <laughs> and yes, it, it is that specific. That is a life changing moment when you have a path going left and a path going right and you do something or something happens that takes you down a path that defines the rest of essentially your life to this point and that was simply just by going shopping with my mother on a friday afternoon after school the weekly big shop as we were called and uh she would go off and do the shopping but i would go to uh places i like to go within the mall or shopping center and one of them was the uh, shop which had a magazine rack and on the magazine rack you had uh, video game magazines and it was uh, the official Dreamcast magazine issue uh, I believe it's number one kind of number two because they have issue zero uh, where it basically had the massive image of Neo's son on the front of it and just the, the tagline Shenmue the game it changes everything and it was that moment it was that moment where I am now sitting here now on a Shenmue Dojo podcast that's how much it's defined my life um, flicking through that magazine, looking at the images without even playing this game or knowing much about it, the images alone just sold me. And not always, um, you know, graphics and voice acting and all this stuff. What I want out of a video game is total escapism. Now, I'm not talking about like sci fi and first person shooters. When I say escapism, I want to live my life in a video game to escape from my real living of a life outside my front window. So, what that means is when I seen the images of a town 
and the fact that it had doors you could open and these places, the shutters went up and down in the morning and then at night when they closed. It was a living, breathing world. That's what I wanted in a video game. Grand Theft Auto kind of had been gearing towards that, especially when you play Grand Theft Auto 1 and 2. But obviously you couldn't go into any buildings. This was a game that let you go behind the door. You could you could go into a building. You could see who was inside that building. And it was, it was the idea of a world that just sucked me right in. And of, of course, you know, the arcade. Seeing pictures of arcade machines inside an arcade, which you could actually play. So, oh, my God, my mind was blown. So, of course, you know, over the years, this game that I had already fallen in love with, I just fell in love with even more, to the point where it was 2017, 2018. Um, can't remember exactly when uh, we had had the Shenmue 3 Kickstarter. And the previous owner, George Melita, a.k.a. Yama, just messaged me out of the blue and just basically said that he was willing to pass it on and I would be the ideal candidate in his eyes. At this point, I'd actually left the dojo. I did all my moderation work to the extent that I felt that I could, as well as extracurricular activities. I, I felt like I was the one that was taking the Shemi Dojo to where I thought it should have always been. All, should have always been at the forefront of Shemi News, of making that conscious effort to go and get it. Um, so that so even as a moderator, not even as the owner, I was like, I was going to Gamescom to interview uses again. I was going to Monaco to interview uses again. I don't even own the brand, mm. but I'm just doing it because you know this is what I feel like. Not not that I have to do, but this is what the site should be doing. So I think it was from that that uh, George was kind of getting the idea. I don't know what his personal life was going on or other ventures he was looking into, but it was just a nice crossover. And for both the uh, the progress of the Shemi 3 development, as well as the re-releases, which we also got, um, I had a very short time to get the grasp with absolutely everything needed to, in my mind, what I felt was the only option, to revamp the entire brand. And that's what I did. So I had a great time doing that. And... Um, on, on compared to other past owners, they had just a nice long time of meandering, not much to do. I had a very short stint of complete and utter pedal to the metal. Just I had no life, you know. Yeah, I, I had no life, and combining that with finally getting Shemi three, it was just a natural stopping point. After it, I had some personal issues as well, which kind of all were thrown into the mix, but. Whenever you guys were willing to take it on, again, for me, it just felt perfect. You know, it felt like a natural progression. And that's why I, I couldn't have been more happy for you guys to come along and thankfully take on the reins. We've got a, a lot to to thank you for, really, in, in, in that process, really, going from all the incredible work that you actually did to the website and the media section and just the whole revamp, you know, complete new website and forums and everything. And for us to take over from that, was you know a bit bit of a a, a big honor really, and um, hopefully we've we've done you proud. <laughs> I do appreciate that, but I'm not going to sit here and even feel like I'm. I, I, the, the, the thanks isn't for me. You understand? I was kind of a guy who wasn't who wasn't really sure what he was doing. The only thing I was really doing was politely asking other people to do what they did best. Yeah. The amount of other people that worked on what the the brand is today, they all deserve the thanks, not me. I just had a couple of ideas, a couple of like, you know, and just it was a great team and a great atmosphere and a great dedication as well. Shemi 3 certainly helped, but, you know, there was a passion there amongst everybody who was working on it at the time, and they just made whatever I had in my head come to life. And those those are all the people that deserve the thanks. 
Yeah, and there's some nice points in that, actually, your, your little speech about... Because um, previous episode, we were a little bit confused at some of the timeline points, and you kind of tied some knots there about your, oh, your yeah. work on Gamescom in 2017, etc. And, mm. uh, and incidentally, that magazine that you're on about, that was uh, part of what I used towards the Shenmue World magazine, that mm-hmm. Ed Lomas article. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool that that was the piece virtually that got you into Shenmue. That's where you found the love for, for the game originally. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it's nice to have, have you with us today. I think we're in for a real treat. But as usual, before we get into my main topic of discussion for today, we're going to run through all of the latest Shenmue news. It's mostly community-based this last month, but let's go through some of the more recent headlines since the last episode. So firstly, just want to make a quick mention of the Shemu Ryo Hazuki Tubstock, which was previously up for pre-order, is now actually available and in stock. So if you were waiting for this to release, they are here to grab. And after receiving my own already, I'm very pleased with the way they turned out. Um, both of you guys have one, I take it? Yeah, definitely. I really like it. I'm really impressed with the quality of it, actually. Yeah, it's quality. I've got, I've got two. <laughs> You've got two. Of course, you have to buy. If, yeah, if you're a Shenmue collector, you always have to buy two of everything. Okay, not the more expensive stuff, but you know, yeah, not the music box. Yeah, and plus, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's exactly what I was thinking about. But um, you have to have one to keep as a collector in its original mint and box package, and then you have the other to open and play with in the in the box. Good idea, actually. <laughs> I think you may have just sold another one to me because <laughs> I was thinking again out actually displaying it because it's it's a pretty nice figure actually. Yeah, but correct me if I'm wrong. Was there not like a deal on them? That's another reason why I got two. There was like, that's true. I think it was a five or off or something. Yeah, if you got two, it was. It was cheap. Mm. I did get a beat from Jetset Radio. It was my second. Ah, oh, yes, you you, you like mixed the match. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I might do that actually. I might could get two and then give one away or something. Uh, music box wise, though, just quick mention on that. Uh, nothing new to report apart from the fact that they just haven't sold out yet. So could be because of the price point. But you know, if you're saving up for one, uh, they are still available. So moving on into community-based news now, and what better way to start than with the recent release of Matt's interview with legendary voice director, sound engineer, the incredible Bill Black, who obviously worked on Shemu 3 along with the casting, directing, um, as far as I know, basically managing the whole of the English dub of that release. So Matt, would you like to give us a little bit about what listeners can expect if they haven't listened to this particular interview yet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Bill, I would give him all the credit in the world. He was very candid in what he told me and, and the way he presented himself. He was very, very honest. Um, we talked about the casting, which obviously brought up the Eric Calso question. I won't won't spoil it for everybody who hasn't listened to it yet, but it's, it's certainly a, a good insight into what happened and why it happened. Um, we talk about how he became involved in the project, um, how it sort of went from just a literal um, being asked, what do you think, can this be done on X budget to, right, you're now the voice director of Shenmue 3, get it done, and and the time frame that it took him to get get it done, and balancing the books and everything else in between. Um, and also, Bill was very, very kind enough to give us a bunch of behind-the-scenes footage from the voiceover recording. I mean, this is Shenmue's gold. If, if I'm being honest with you, this is an insight into how things were done. And I would urge any Shenmue fan out there to go and watch that video. Yeah, it was uh, quite a nicely edited version from fellow Dojo staff member Jibby. Did a great job capturing that fun feel that the recording appeared to have been. We can also see glimpses of Yu Suzuki getting involved as well, at least helping out with the initial work on the dub. 
So yeah, like Matt says, you can check out this in the form of a separate video on our YouTube channel. And we also plan to add the raw footage in the upcoming weeks in case people were interested in seeing a little bit more of the footage that we were given. I want to take the opportunity to say thanks to Bill Black again for not only sparing some of his time towards not one, but two interviews, <laughs> uh, more which yeah. will be explained <laughs> on that front soon. But thanks, Bill, for just being so kind and generous and allowing us to share this behind-the-scenes footage with you fine folk out there as well. Could uh, I interject with a request? Go for it. On the video of uh, the behind-the-scenes stuff, mm -hmm. there's the video clip of Corey and Bill dancing. Somebody has to add in the tall music there. <laughs> I mean, that has point. to happen, that, That's right? a good point. Come we, on. We could have that as a standalone video. That, that's surely what they were dancing to. It has to be. Just have it on repeat for an hour. <laughs> Just, yeah, loop the video. <laughs> That's one of those extended music videos for sure. And put that as a separate tweet as well. Funky rhythm. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> uh, And quickly, Matt, I checked you had another interview between now on the previous episode, which perhaps we teased a little bit. Can't quite remember. Um, this was with Shemu fan music creator Richard Cartledge, whose music we've, of course, played many times before in the previous shows. But can you tell us a little bit about this one, Matt? Yeah, it's a very, very different interview. Someone who's obviously been involved with the community for a long time. Um, we we talk about sort of how Richard found Shenmue, um, very much like all of us actually see it in magazines and becoming besotted by it. I think we all share that. Um, we talk about his sort of path in music and also his involvement in the Dragon and Phoenix project where he is... Um, remixing or remastering the old Shenmue tracks ready for the Phoenix project um, whenever that is due to come out and I know he's been working on tracks on a almost nightly basis I think when I interviewed him he said he'd done 100 tracks at that point Insane. so you can imagine the volume of work that's that's going into that project just on the music side so it's a good another, again it's another good interview with someone who's passionate about the, the series and the community and his music's fantastic go and listen to it yeah and you can find all of our shows and interviews literally wherever you're listening to this right now YouTube or one of the many podcast catches and that was a good segue actually Matt because next up Feels quite a while ago now, but not too long after the previous episode of the show, we received Devlog 4 from the Dragon and Phoenix Collection project. This update was basically an eye candy image fest, with not only around 20 new screenshots from the project showing off various locations in Shenmue 1, but there was also a short video on the remake of the U-Arcade. Peter, what did you make of these salivating new screenshots? No, they were great, weren't they? I mean, you just want more. You, you just like with any Shenmue project, be it the anime or a potential Shenmue four down the road. You you wanted it yesterday. It just looked great. You know, it's it, it in a in a way it leaves you speechless. I I don't understand. I literally can't get my head around how such a small team is doing what they're doing. Mm. Do you know what I mean? You, you you're basically remaking two games. You know, it it's. I like you're even saying about Richard's work on the music. That's just one small part of it. Yeah. But I mean, just looking how crisp and amazing the, the little nuances and details, say like of the sit down arcade machines, which is all oh, Shenmue fans know that they're just there for a show. You can't actually play them on like the other arcade cabinets. But you just just the fact that you can see like on the screen what's happening. And I bet they will put something in there that you can sit yeah. down and play as well. You know, that that's the extent that the game they're adding new things. You know, we saw glimpses of what looks like a new area as well, which, you know. Yep. They're just doing crazy work there, and it's just adding a fresh coat of paint to the original games with the lighting, the sky, the weather, and even the dragon mode, which is supposed to be more of a, a minor graphical overhaul to the game almost. It looks like a remake in terms of the upgrade and graphics fidelity. 
Uh, I'm looking at the image here of the, the Genpu Maru, you know, the, the ship that Rio heads to Hong Kong on, and the yeah. water, the sky, the lighting, it just looks incredible. I mean this, I mean this in the, in the, the most positive way I can. It actually scares me a little bit. <laughs> the, uh, the thought of playing that game, the way it looks in, the, in those images, I don't know. It's that, that's an experience that I don't even think the first game could even live up to. You know, it's it's just been completely modernized. It's and like I, rewriting history, really, because yeah. when you when you think of the games, if you get so used to them, they become the new norm. Imagine going back and playing the Dreamcast version, and it's like, like you say, it's pretty scary to think that that could be coming in the near too distant future. <laughs> yeah, but the only time I will not pull out my Dreamcast is if they somehow manage to include full-time loading screens and include the buzz of the Dreamcast motor loading the disc. <laughs> that Then, you know, as much as we all hate that, there's still a love for that. You know, I do miss that. That's you a know? cool idea. You could have that in your options, Dreamcast. <laughs> Dreamcast <Bluetooth>. loading. <laughs> <laughs> so... Next up on the on the Shamu Dojo forums, which is the place to go to talk all things Shamu. If you're not already part of the wonderful Dojo community, get yourself over there right now or after the show and join us for some super deep discussions. And there's currently a pretty interesting discussion on the theory of Yuanda Zhu being one of the four big bosses of the series. Uh, ten, tente, I think. Okay, I'm not gonna lie. I haven't been on the forums this this past week as much. I've been that busy. But what's mm. the theory? Uh, well, the found some pretty striking resemblance to, uh, you know, the Emperor Envoy scenes from Shemu 3. When you find a photograph? Yeah. yeah. The the guy that they zoom in with all the, the gear on or whatever, uh-huh. um, he's comparing that to the way that Yuanda Zoo looks, like similar clothing. He might even have a beard. I was trying to fi- figure that out. It looks like he might have a little mini beard. And the girls that are following this Envoy look like the girls that are featured in that chapter tile where they're sitting beside Yuanda Zoo or what looks like Yuanda Zoo in that chapter tile. So wow. I don't know. It's uh, it's okay. had my mind going anyway, just, just reading that. Yeah, I mean, he is a shady character in the series. That's kind of a given, I think, isn't it? There's been a lot of speculation about how, you know, he isn't on the side of good. He's more on the side of evil because of his ambiguity and stuff like that. Isn't that right? Yeah. yeah. And it, you'd, you'd have, you never know. It's It could be one of those... He's leading down Rio this path of it, it seems like he's he's pointing him in the direction of like you know go to Guilin you know find out stuff there but he could just be leading him because he's yeah. got an ulterior motive of he wants the treasure for himself like similar to Ren Ren's only really tagging along because of the treasure even though he is gaining a bit of friendship with Rio but we don't really know enough about Yuanda Zhu to know if maybe he is leading him towards the treasure and you know he's going to appear and take it off him and do a, a, a leg you never know do you i'll tell you what we do know any bugger who lives on the 10th floor of a building called ghost hall and you have to cross a multitude of dangerous planks <laughs> to get to him he ain't right yeah. there's something shady about that guy so that's 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 Something's a given <laughs> something's not right up there yeah <laughs> so if that sounds like something you'd be interested in head on over to the forums and whilst you're there you might notice a few new features that we've added to the sidebar on the right so matt do you want to briefly explain these new features yeah i'll do it very very quickly so as part of sort of keeping the forums up to date and getting things moving what we've done is on the right hand side of the forums we've now got a list of all the live shenry streams that are on twitch so what this plugin does for us it scrapes through twitch and will pull up all the Shenmue streams and the most popular ones are at the top and you can work your way down and you can watch a multitude of people streaming Shenmue. I think since we've gone live on that plugin, there's never not been a stream, which is really good. 
Mm-hmm. So someone's obviously still playing it out there, which is fantastic. I did notice a buddy one that had like over a thousand views or something the other day, which wow. was really yeah, crazy. there was. I can't, I can't remember who it was. One of the, one of the bigger um, YouTubers or Twitch uh, streamers was doing it. I, ca- I can't remember the bloody name now, but yeah, it was about a thousand or fifteen hundred or something like that at one point watching watching a guy play Shenmue, which is fantastic, and you know full well that hopefully people a few of those people go in and buy the game and then think oh i like this and get involved yeah i only i noticed that stream because of this plugin actually so otherwise i wouldn't have known that that was actually happening so i just think it's a it's a cool feature to have there you might just stumble across someone brand new to streaming shenmue for all we know so on, on sort of on top of that as well what we've got within that plugin as well we've got a media section where all our youtube videos interviews podcasts etc any any of that content mm-hmm. is directly on the forums so if you don't want to leave the forums and you want to watch some of the media podcasts or whatever you literally just click on this media link and it's all there for you you don't even have to leave the forums anymore which again for convenience sake is is a great move and I, I know i've started using it but we've been putting up some other videos from other content creators as well which encourages me to watch them because i don't always have the time to sort of trawl around youtube these days yeah really cool little features twitter's on there as well and these features are of course completely optional if you think they're making the forums look a little bit cluttered or not to your taste you can head into your profile preferences and simply disable them there too but please don't because we paid an awful lot of money to get this stuff on there for you enjoying yeah. it. <laughs> um, so last couple of things now I want to briefly mention. So Switch over at phantomrosedown.com has begun work on a brand new series to his blog site where he's translating content from the official online magazine that was published by Sega's AM2 team back in the day. That's content about the Shemu series and it was published regularly over the span of a couple of years until around the time of Shenmue 2's release. So there's going to be some pretty interesting behind-the-scenes stuff at the time there. So keep an eye out for this new series, and Volume 1 and Volume 2 are already available to read right now over on phantomriverstone.com. Mentioning Richard Cartledge earlier, actually, just a quick mention that later this month you can expect a new release of Superpass. Switch has been hard at work with some difficult coding behind some of the new features that you can expect. We've added a music download pack installation system to expand your Shemu music libraries within the app. And Richard's music is going to be one of the first packs available completely free of charge, of course. I know that kind of sounds like some sort of DLC, but the app's free and so is the additional content. So literally a couple of button presses and you can install a playlist of Richard's music to your Superpass app. And it's just a way of giving the user a little bit more freedom and what music they want to pick and choose to keep the size of the app on your device as small as you want it to be. So if you're a massive Shenmue music note, you'll probably just want to download all of the packs anyway, because you know it's a cool feature and it will come into play a little bit more in the future as we add more and more music and other content to the app. Loads more to come on this soon. You can grab the app on Android devices by hitting the Google Play Store and searching for Superpass. Or for iOS users out there, head over to superpass.com for information on how to download for your device. So whilst Superpass is a great place to read background lore on all of the original 337 characters of Shemu 1, dojo veteran Stuart Peacock, known by his username Miles Per Hour, who previously had brought us a complete Shemu 2 character database a few years back, which detailed all of the 700 plus characters of Shemu 2, while he is back again with a complete character database for Shemu 3. 
This insane dedication and passion is what makes us all the Shemu fans that we are today. We're all fucking mad at. You can read up on all of the behind the scenes. <laughs> you can read up on all of the beside. You didn't give me a brief on this beforehand. You didn't tell me we weren't we're allowed to talk and fuck up. I didn't know this. No, you can do it. It's all right. I, I did. I did. I, if, you, if, you, if you read the chat, I, I said, don't worry about stumbling on your words and stuff, because I'll just edit, edit it I out. didn't get reading it. Do you know how long I've been holding a fart? No, no, you can do, you can do what you want, man, because I'll just see, man. in audacity, I'll just see, like, you made a little noise or something while, while I was talking. <laughs> oh, right. It's not going to be a little noise. <laughs> so I can just edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> can, I, can I just say, I, I, can't, I, I feel like the biggest knob in the world. Why? I, I, I never realized this until you just said the name. Stuart Peacock. Like even saying I'm I, I'm no after that I'm assuming this is a oh, second thing Prower. as well. I thought yeah. it was just I thought it was, I thought it was just miles per hour, but is it like miles per hour as well? It basically, is that's where they got the name from. Yes. Tails, I yeah. never knew yeah, that. They, they named tails that way, and then I just thought it was prior, like P O W R prior. I didn't realize it was. It's like, a spell like that, but it's, it's like a per hour. Words, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Well, I didn't realize they, that the miles. Miles Prower thing wasn't, and it wasn't catchy enough. So then they gave him the nickname Tails. Tails, yeah. Then, oh, so if you look right. at the original, like Sonic, is it Sonic Two Manual, it yeah. will say Tails quotation marks. Miles Prower, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to leave this stuff in here, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Please don't. So, <laughs> you can read up on all of the behind the scenes that Stuart had to undertake in order to figure out each and every one of these 300 plus characters across both Bailu Village and Niawu. Such crazy determination to track them all down. So head over to shenmusings.com. So that's Shenmu Sings, basically, because it's like a play on words there, shenmusings.com, to check out Stuart's latest post that contains the complete character database ready to download at your own leisure. Have you guys had the chance to check this out yet? Briefly today, when I was putting up the main site post, and it is comprehensive in the extreme. I mean, you've got locations, you've got mugshots, you've even got, where possible, English voice actors listed in this database. It is a phenomenal piece of work, and I can only imagine the amount of effort and time that's gone into such a resource that's Again, I just adds to that Shenmue community spirit. We are just batshit crazy. Let's be honest. Yeah, I, I didn't know, didn't think he could top the Shenmue two uh, character profile <laughs> that he did. But reading really out, some he got some of the names for the the characters in Shenmue three. He's got a big post on, like I say, the behind the scenes stuff, and he did some crazy things to try and work out who's who. So yeah, so head over to shenmuesings.com to check that out. And the very last thing for today's new section. It's actually kind of non-news, but we'll segue nicely into the main discussion topic for this particular episode, Shenmue the Anime. So we're kind of expecting it to show up at the recent Crunchyroll Expo 2021, right, Matt? Uh, yeah, we were. I was convinced. Absolutely full-on convinced. Would have put my house on it, and now I'd be homeless living in a box. Yeah, you're not alone. You're not alone. So we're not really sure when or where we're going to see first bits of footage of the anime in action. So now that it was a no-show at Crunchyroll's own event, but I don't know, I guess they must have a plan in place where it's going to drop randomly on Twitter one day and just catch us all off off guard, or you know, maybe we'll, we'll have to wait a whole year, see it at Crunchyroll Expo 2022. I don't, I really don't know. I mean, Jason DeMarco's very active on Twitter. He's there all the time. And when he's ever asked questions about it, he's, he, he's turned around saying it's looking good, he can't wait to show more of it off. 
So I don't I don't know where they are with this thing. I mean, we'll talk about it more in a bit, but yeah. I don't know. It's like it's dangling the carrot, but it's just that little bit out of reach at the moment. And I think because we're all Shenmue fans, like Pete was saying earlier, we want the news now. We want it yesterday. You know, come on, where is it sort of thing? Yeah, because we've waited so long for stuff. It's like <laughs> we are getting a bit old now. Come on. Yeah, well, yeah on? <laughs> and I, I don't know. I don't know what the, what the plan is, but they've obviously got one. And I know... Mm. Some people have talked about the announcement being made too soon, but we'll, we'll cover that later. Maybe but, so. Um, I mean, just do you reckon they're saving it for like a video game show? Because I, I saw Spaghetti on the forums mention that it could be at the, the video games awards, possibly. They've shown animes before, so it's possible. It, and there's a lot, a lot of eyes on the game awards. I mean, it can't hurt. I mean, Gamescom, I think, even had anime last year as well. So, yeah. I mean, I think it's less likely at Gamescom, quite frankly, but I, I don't know. When's Gamescom? Is that this month it's still? Twenty fifth of August, if my dates are correct. Because we've we've we're lucky we've got press again, which is fantastic. So we're going to be. I'll be keeping an eye on it. Put it that way. But I, I, I don't. I just don't know where. I mean, ultimately, we, we want. You know, we don't. We don't just want gamers who are already familiar with the Shenmue series to watch it. We want anime enthusiasts that you know may have even never heard of games hopefully recruit some new Shemi fans that way. But uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll get into this sort of discussion later. So let's just crack on, eh? <laughs> so <laughs> like always, we're going to have a quick music break now. I've picked out a piece from Shemi 3 that I love, and I've also asked both Matt and Peter to come up with two Shemu songs each, one of their favourite pieces from Shemu 3 and a wildcard piece from anywhere throughout the series. We'll get to their picks later in the show, but for now, here's mine. And it's an incredible piece of music from Shemu 3, and it's called Spoken Words.
Welcome back. That was Spoken Words from Shemu 3's definitive soundtrack, available on Spotify, Apple Music, amongst other places, I'm sure. So, guys, you ready to finally get into the show? Let's do it. Let's go for it. Right, guys. So, the theme for today's episode is going to be our thoughts on the prospects of potential Shemu 4. I've got a bunch of questions and topics for you both, and I'm just really curious to hear your thoughts, whether in agreement or contrasting opinions, perhaps. So, it's going to be really interesting. Now, I've given you both next to no prep for this entire section. Just wanted to hear your on-the-spot thoughts and feelings regarding these things, and I think hopefully it'll provoke some interesting discussion. So before we eventually bridge into the topic of Shemu 4, I'm going to start with the aforementioned Shemu the Anime, which I was sort of attempting to segue into from the new section. However, you know, how long is considered a segue after the music break? <laughs> it's like over five minutes ago. <laughs> well, it's the start of an official discussion, yeah, if you want to put it that way. Though. So how excited are you for seeing the first bits of real footage for the anime series, and how do you expect it to be delivered to us after it not turning up at the Crunchyroll Expo? Matt, do you want to go first? Oh, that's a question. In terms of excitement, yeah, I was signed up immediately. Any Shenmue content anime book man whatever i'm i'm on board i think the more that you can get people involved in the series is and the more methods to do that the better so i'm on board and also and also from a medium point of view it gives it opportunity to tell the story in a different light they can bring in old or cut content that wasn't there before there's so much they can do with there's so much scope they can do with an anime that I, I don't know, it's, it's a blank canvas, which I, I really look forward to seeing. I'm gutted that it didn't pop up at Crunchyroll Expo this, this last week. I, I, I had everything on it, and I'd even said it live on stream, and now I look completely, you know, I look really, really silly. But hey, it's one of those things, isn't it? Mm, I, I thought it was going to be as well, to be fair. So where it's going to show up, I mean, I'm not au fait with the anime scene as such, so I don't know if there's any other conventions popping up. I know that Telecom um, Animation, who are actually coincidentally owned by Sega, have their own expo, but I can't remember when the dates of that are. So it, it's possible that it could be there because they are making, they're, they're involved in making the anime itself. Um, mm, so you think it could be shown at like a Sega event, maybe even Fez later in the I year? I wouldn't rule it out because there has to be some involvement from Sega somewhere, even if it's just to get the bloody sign off on the project. So mm. I wouldn't rule it. You know, Sega Fez is one. We've already sort of touched on the Game Awards potentially with a lot of eyes on it and it has got form for anime being shown there, potentially Gamescom as well. And then there's probably anime um, you know, conventions, etc. I, I just, quite frankly, am uneducated about and don't know about. So there is opportunity. I think what we have to keep in mind is it's confirmed that it's not going to release this year and that's partly our fault for causing the stir in the first place, but that's a whole different ball game altogether. So it's going to be what I presume will be a 2022 release. So if they're looking at 2022, surely we're going to get something by the end of the year. I don't know where, though. Mm. Peter, do you share those thoughts? Are you still as optimistic? Um, I'm Yeah, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic from the point of view that we're not going to see a Shemmy Online type situation here. It, it will come, but... I'm not going to sit here and like video games are different. We we have a lot of experience with video games, both as players and as admirers of the industry and the development of video games. I literally know zero, and I mean zero, about animes or the development of animes themselves. So 
to me to put a timeline on it like i mean bear in mind this was just announced in september of last year yeah that's true but it hasn't it hasn't even been a year yet and unfortunately obviously i don't know but you know i don't like shamu 3 i don't think they had a lot in the can whatsoever they were did it, someone mentioned i don't know who it was but they mentioned that it was worked on since shamu 3 i want to say okay do you know any more on that, Matt? Was it? But, I mean, it was, but I mean, worked on the broad term, isn't it? I mean, when mm. was the project actually given the green light to go ahead? And bearing in mind, again, I'm like Peter, I know bugger all about anime development or anything of the sort. So timelines in making, you know, from an idea to getting it actually out there for consumers, I have no idea. But yeah, I, I, just, I can't imagine, bearing in mind, it was what, two, they had to say it, it was greenlit around 2019. So when Shenmue 3 got its release. So they've had essentially two years to work on it. But in that two years, they may have had to storyboard. They may have had to you know, get castings. They've got so much yeah. to even get started. Yeah, even before that, they, they even need to decide on if they're going to go ahead. But okay, it gets greenlit. But then who knows when it was greenlit? Was the director even selected? Yeah. Was, the, was the animation company that's producing it, uh, is, are they... Are they, are they have they taken on the job or are they farming it out to other telecom, you know, anim- animators? You know, we, we don't know that. So to be honest, um, in hindsight, yeah, of course, it would have been great to see something on Friday night. But at the same time, it hasn't even been officially in, you know, from the announcement of production, a uh, production announcement. It hasn't been officially been in production for even a year. And as even as a non-anime expert, I mean, we're dealing with 13 episodes. We're dealing with the yeah. the, the pretty big script of Shenmue 1. Um, you know, we're dealing with the musical aspects, the the the, the, the voiceover. Shenmue, Shenmue, nothing Shenmue gets turned out quick. We should know that by now, you know? Mm-hmm. When they say 2022, I believe it is, you're talking, I reckon they're probably shooting for, is it December? The, the, the first week of December the original game was released on? Something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, it could coincide it with could because anime is obviously a very Japanese thing as well. I know it's a very Western thing, but it is also a very Japanese thing. They could they could tie it into you know some sort of anniversary release like that, you know, possibly. Yeah, yeah. So it could it could be literally next Crunchyroll Expo then that they're, they're planning yeah. on showing it. Yeah, and like you said there, um, recruiting people for the team and stuff. We know that Keith R- Relsel uh, was only asked. Well, he applied to become an artist for the anime, and that was like within the year. Yeah, so it's it's, it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, I suppose if there's one lesson from from Shenmue Three, among others, is that if you blow your load and show something too soon when it's not ready, you're going to get shit on from a great height. Absolutely, and that happened in 2017 with the teaser trailer. I'm not going to go into the reasons why they showed it, etc. I get it was a Kickstarter project, but it got crapped on. So. I would rather that they took their time and showed something that's going to blow people's minds and then hammer that promotion from that point onwards because then you set the bar, you're going, right, this is top-notch quality and we're going to hammer this all the way to release. And I think then you're on the right foot to getting people involved. If you show something that's not ready, not right, given past experience, I, I would... Yeah, it'd be very wary of them blowing their load and showing something too soon. Yeah, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry to be the dark cloud that hangs over this, but I, I'm going to say it. I appreciate and respect the fact that other people's views differ, but COVID nineteen has messed this globe up. Definitely. It is that simple from a working standpoint. 
Yeah. I don't care what if it's a video game, movie, anime. It will. Aff- it has affected everything. Yeah, ma- majorly, majorly. Well, everything's been pushed by you, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, are the God of War fans kicking off because you know that's been delayed? Horizon Zero Dawn that's been delayed. I know their video games, but everything, everything's just being delayed, and that's just par for the course with the world we're living in now. I guess the benefit with the anime is they don't even need to say it's been delayed because they haven't even announced a release date or anything. So they could just be quietly. You know, working away. Uh, you know, maybe affected by COVID, it has pushed them out of year, but they don't actually need to say anything because we're none the wiser anyway. You know, it's not like they've given a definitive release date. We just know that it's not going to be this year, so um, they don't have to say anything really. That's smart as well, considering again, Shenmue Three experience of obviously the game being delayed a few times and <laughs> and the ruckus that caused. So actually, yeah. by not committing to something. When, it, when you do set a release date, you're hoping that that release date is the date and you're not committing to something too soon. Of course, and let's not forget, as we, as we also have the information on from a couple of people, Yu Suzuki himself is very heavily involved in this. And if that's the case, you does what you wants. Okay, yeah. nobody, nobody's going to rush him on anything. That anime is not going to hit the door until he finally gives his stamp of approval on it. Yeah, and, that, and that's right. Exactly. And, well, that was Jason DeMarco recently. He was saying how great it looks, Yusuzuki's hands-on and mm-hmm. stuff. So it's going to turn into something good because Yusuzuki's so hands-on. Of course. And let's like let, let's consider another option as well. If Yusuzuki is so hands-on, and, of course, we have no um, confirmation of this whatsoever, but uh, who's who's not to say that, you know, the last we heard from Cedric in regards to Shenmue 3 was at the beginning of last... I know there was a tweet recently, but at the beginning of last year, he said, once things get settled we'll start, you know, talking and seeing what we can do for a potential shim before. You know, we're now in August of 2021. Who's to say, you know, considering what we learned from the Shimmy 3 Kickstarter, which they did have an obligation to keep fans up to date with what was going on, mm-hmm. who's to say the Shimmy 4 hasn't been greenlit at the end of last year? Just, yeah, exactly. And they've, been, and they've been working on it, and the anime has been worked on, and once the two of them are on a natural coming together path, say, for example, I don't know, the Video Game Awards, you have the Shimmy anime, and then boom, after it, Shimmy 4 in official production or something like that. You know, it's... Oh, man, that would be insane, wouldn't it? Bloody hell. <laughs> that would break the... That, that would break the fucking internet let's, let's be honest but you know what i mean yeah you're ta- you're talking about like say the video game awards and uh, gamescom not really being an anime environment well it, it it will be an anime environment if you're coupling that with the game announcement and shemmy fours is you know the game that would be announced and it's it's a line in the sand isn't it if you just say they did that and go right anime and oh here's shemmy four by the way everybody it's a massive line in the sand to go right we are taking yeah. this game seriously we are taking this franchise seriously we are yeah. pushing this to everybody, get on board. Yeah, imagine the eye turning for that. Yeah, plus the two of them pulled together. You know, the, the Shemmy 4 being announced gives the anime muscle, and then the anime announcement muscle gives Shemmy 4 a pull. So you're you're basically promoting each other in one big package. You're, if you're interested in the game, oh, God, I didn't know there was an anime. I might check that out. Oh, I love anime. What, oh, Shemmy's games? Hmm, I, might, I might check it out too. <laughs> you know, it, they, they both work together and help each other. I don't think my heart could take that. I don't think I'd be able to survive it long enough to see the anime. But, but, anime but, but the longer the week goes on, the more that becomes a possibility. Yeah. No, you know, you're right. And, you know, even though Jason DeMarco said it won't be releasing this year, mm-hmm. I suppose you could even interpret that that's, it's not going to come next year either. It could be 2023. We, you know, like you say, it could be lined up to release alongside Shenmue 4 for all we know. And if, 
if you're running with that idea that they are lined up to go together, then I think everybody would accept that quite happily with open arms, be like, brilliant, bring it on sort of thing. I think what people are apprehensive about at the moment is because there's no news, but then that just comes from not knowing anything, doesn't it? And yeah. we just have to sort of relax and let, let the people behind the scenes do their job. There is plenty of Shenmue stuff slash news still on the pipeline. We have multiple items, including the uh, limited edition. Yeah. The records collection, the music box. You have Adam Sepioni's Shenmue documentary. That's still in the can. You have the Shenmue anime happening, and you've also a potential Shenmue 4 possibly happening. I don't know if you want to read into it too much, but I don't know if you're bringing it up later on the show, but yeah. we had a little very small tweet from Cedric. You know, mm. just, you know. It's, it's, it's putting it out there. Yeah, you, you you just never know. I th- and like I think we're in a good place. We're in a we're in a we're in a place where we do have to be patient. Let's let's not be wrong. But you know we ain't got nothing but time, baby. Yeah, it's, you know it's as simple as that. So Peter, this is going to be a nice nice segue question for you now. So since you're such a huge anime enthusiast, what do you, <laughs> what do you want to see from the anime? Not necessarily what you expect to see, but do you perhaps want to see a play-by-play retelling of the story so far? Or are you more hopeful to see other aspects of the world play out, maybe other stories, following other characters, you know, basically taking some liberties to expand the universes even further? Yeah, I would definitely be very pro. Is taking liberties the right word? But I mean, of course the anime, is, I'm assuming, is going to follow the original first game the, the main storyline okay um, and that's fantastic but with 13 episodes i mean you've all sorts of little side stories you could have there to really build character development like like say like say akimi or something you yep. know and you know you could have rio just walking the streets to wait till late at night and something happens and that becomes a little side thing or a little subplot of that episode and then you bring it back on to the main story. There's there's so much stuff that can be done. But I'm mostly looking forward to um, the direction, how it's how this is approached. What um what because you know video games and watching say a television show or a movie are completely different. Um, they, they evoke different emotions. You know, you're just sitting. You're more invested into what you're watching rather than what you're playing. So I'm very interested in to see how this is directed and what the director wants you to feel at in each episode. Do they want you to feel sadness? Do they want you to feel intrigue? Do they want you to feel happiness? Do they want you? Do you know, and the Shenmue the Shenmue story has so much scope for that. So many characters. So many you know shops i know there's only uh two main areas in the video game but you know you could have an episode based on like coming san at his bakery having you know you could literally write anything and as long as yusuzuki gives the okay for it i think that would be amazing to see character development of these characters we have known for over 20 years and give them a new spin i i, I hope that's what would happen yeah i concur that sounds sounds great really uh anything else you want to see Matt from the anime? I think Peter's covered it. Um, for me, it's a blank canvas. It's a new medium. So you, I, I don't. I'm taking liberties is probably the word I would use for it. Actually, I think you're at liberty to go right. How do we interpret this wonderful story? Mm. Where do we want to take this story? How do we want the audience to feel? What content do we want to put in? Bearing in mind that we know the games have had 
quite a lot of content cut out. I mean, the boat chapter being one of them. Could we see the boat chapter, for example? Could they flesh that journey out to Hong Kong, potentially? There's so much scope there in terms of what they could do. And it doesn't just go with the the main story. They, they might choose to go down a whole different casting route, for example, because they want a different spin on it. It is, for all intents and purposes, a new start for the Shenmue franchise in a different medium. And it can go in any direction that they want to. And I think they shouldn't be hamstrung necessarily by the history of the games. If, if, if you know what I'm saying, like it needs to follow the broad outline of the main story. Absolutely. But if they want to go off at tangents and develop different characters or weave different stories in into the journey, they should be at liberty to do that as long as they get the okay from Yuzuzuki himself. I'm all for it. Yeah. And just thinking about that 13-episode plan, how much of Shemuth 2 do you think they're going to get to? That's a question, isn't it? How I don't think they will. You don't think they'll reach Shemu 2? No. I I think that's a kind of early days. Um, I don't want to say we'll try and wrap it up type thing. Because the, the, I think the official outline was most of Shemu 2. So that could mean one of... Well, actually, maybe. If if they mean most of Shemu 2, that they're going to wrap it up in Kowloon. With, you know, could, do you know what I mean? Be, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was thinking that that's a sort of good place or maybe, you know, meeting... Li Shao Tao or something somewhere along those lines, perhaps, or Ren, maybe encountering Ren, they want to get Ren into the series. I don't know. No, see, with, with the wording of most of Shamu 2, I'm thinking yeah. that, you know, well, that's this three of four yeah. in Shamu 2. So that's the top of the that's the top of the big ox building and landy yeah. buggers up the Guilin. And that's a not that that we all know that was kind of a natural stopping point anyway. So i I'm wondering if they've got you know people who played the game in there or people that have read the original scripts and just said right bang we can i think we'll do up the there you know because because then by saying most of shenmue 2 if you take guilin away from that you're basically doing shenmue 1 and shenmue 2 yeah okay so this is kind of good for my next question then so if you think they're going to get that far throughout the the series of games to that point of the story how did they go about actually structuring a show like this at this stage to not actually overtake the storyline in the games? So say if, for example, the games are going to be released four plus years between each other, can you actually see the show catching up maybe a little too quickly, having to go on a bit of a hiatus or something? Well, this comes into what we were talking about earlier in terms of whether they can tie the anime up to a potential Shenmue 4, for example, because then you're, you're, you're consistently, you're two games, essentially two games ahead, aren't you, of the anime? So you could have, they obviously, season one of the anime, which would cover Shenmue 1, Shenmue 2. Season two could do Shenmue 3 and flesh out some of the areas in Shenmue 3 that I know weren't as fleshed out as maybe we'd have liked to have happened. And then within that when they get into production to hopefully for a season three we'd be in the the zone of potentially Shenmue 5 if that's the way they went Mm -hmm. and then you consistently stay in front of it I mean they're going to be talking to to Wisenet they're going to be talking to Sega and whoever else are involved with Cedric and Ryan Payton etc to work out a structure that if games are going to be released at said point how is the anime going to line up assuming and this is the thing it's assuming it gets a second season yeah because there's many shows out there that don't get second seasons uh, for whatever reason i mean netflix is notorious for it i don't know how it works in the anime world but that is a risk in itself in some respects that you get to a certain point in in the anime say the big ox building for argument's sake and it doesn't get that second season and then you sort of sat there going fuck's sake this is a fucking cliffhanger especially if you're new to the series 
through the anime, you want to know what's going to happen next. I suppose the, the plus point there is at least we've got someone like Jason DeMarco behind the whole thing who seems like a Shemu fan at the end of the day. Yeah, so definitely. So he'd probably want to see the show continue, you know, even if it doesn't do as well as they hoped. Um, I think that's what we, we kind of need. And same with Cedric, you know, we've got people out there that even if the game isn't as successful as they were hoping for, they're still committed because they're passionate about Sega, the franchise, and the series moving forward. So hopefully that works in Shemu's favour. And, you know, just because they're not making millions and millions of profit, um, it's still going to lead down to, to future sequels and whatever, and we'll actually get to, to bloody finish this shit <laughs> at some point. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's why I say I don't even think they'll do two. They'll just they'll just have season one focus on Shenmue one, season two focus on Shenmue two, and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's the pacing, isn't it? Really, if they, they can pace it out nicely like that, then there, there won't ever be a point where the anime is caught up and oh, you know, Shenmue five's not going to come out for four years. So, I think I think there will be a plan in place that, that you know there must be. They're, right. they're going to have to have some idea around not just the anime, but I think the franchise as a whole. Because at the end of the day, Shenmue is primarily known as a video game. So you need to look at how the anime in, in, it, it sort of complements that as well and how it pushes that, the franchise forward. And they, they, they're going to have to have plans, I think, for that. And that you know, includes merchandise and other bits and pieces as well, and hopefully future releases. Unless they are just trying to do a standalone one, they kind of know it's just going to be a one season thing with a possible resurrection down the road, maybe after the video games are finished. Because if you look at the episode guide, I mean, 13 episodes, right? I mean, season, seasons, or, ep- or sorry, episode six is going to be your mid season finale type territory. Yeah. So that, that could be, you know, whenever you obviously leave Yokosuka and travel to Hong Kong. Then that'll take yeah. you to episode 12, which is the back end of the season. And then your episode 13 would be your finale. That's a good point, actually. So, I mean, are they gonna? Are they just gonna maybe play cautiously, or just play the long game? I don't know. I don't think. I don't think we we'll have a Game of Thrones situation to worry about. You know, I don't think we we'll have a George R. R. Martin book versus TV show type situation on our hands. I think this is just kind of a for now a one shot deal type thing. Well, the interesting to see, you know, and, I, I, and who knows what will happen down the line. Yeah. Okay, we're going to move on from the anime now, and we're going to take a little music break, and we're going to start with your Shenmue 3 music pick, Matt. What do you have for us? So my Shenmue 3 music pick is Wen Young. It is the um, track that is used for when you're playing hide-and-seek over in the Sunflower Grove. It's a personal favourite.
Welcome back, that was Wen Young from Shenmue 3. So I want to go into Shenmue 3 a little now, actually, with the next series of points. So we're a little bit more familiar with your thoughts and feelings on the game, Matt, but I'm interested in hearing Peter's side. So I know you've played it originally on camera for the Dojo YouTube channel, Peter, where we literally got your first impressions of the entire game from start to finish. I'd actually recommend that people check that check out that series as it was great seeing such a big Shenmue fan experience in the game for the very first time. I'll pop the link in the show notes, description, etc. But spoiler alert, there were some things on your first playthrough that somewhat disappointed you at the time, would that be fair to say? But you've since played the game through again recently, and now with the pressure off, you actually enjoyed the game even more. Absolutely. Um, I appreciate the introduction, but that wasn't even really a Shenmue fan playing that first role my life was in a bad way at that time and i felt there was more an obligation to play it out of spoilers yeah so well, you're still I, fun. I, I mean you've you oh, followed the series since day one and waited for the game and stuff. of course and it, but life just throws you some curveballs and i had to wait i had to wait until i played it again recently everything was well in the world again and it was complete. It was a. It was a different game. It was completely and utterly different. Just that absolute feeling of waking up in the morning. You're now real Hazuki again, just like you did back in, you know, the Hazuki residence. You woke up in the morning and you had a plan. You knew what you were going to do. You were going to get your jacket on. You said good morning to Shenhua, and I'm sure, like most people out there, you then just began to live vicariously through the video game. You woke up at Bailey Village, you woke up outside, you could see the moisture on the ground, you could see the sunrise coming up over you. It was just, it was borderline poetic. You're walking past that beautiful chamois tree all the way down. If you were disciplined, you would do a bit of training. You want to get that Kung Fu bar up, you want to get your stamina up, and you just, I don't know why, whenever I was playing it personally, I just heard, like, you know, be it Yu Suzuki or Iwao, or Iwao, you know, just saying in my head, you know, just be dedicated, be real. And then you fell into the routine. Mm. You got you, I, The way I played it was just like enjoying each day, em- embracing Bailey Village, just doing a little bit of what I needed to do. And it was in my notebook, but then discovering the other aspects of it, which is just, you know, which is kind of an intro in Bailey Village. For example, the fact that you need to buy certain items to complete an inventory list in the pawn shop to get a move scroll. I, I, I didn't do this in my first playthrough, but I am a huge collector in video games. I, I'm a, I am a 100%er. I love collecting everything. So all those items you could get straight away at the beginning, I know what I've got to do, and I love that feeling. There's all these items I can buy, I can collect. And then that's also when I started looking at the trophies, and I realized that I had to fish a thousand fish, man. Seriously, 500 would have been more than enough. Come on. Who, was, who, who made that call? <laughs> I, I think he Seriously. Did. Yeah. Maybe at that call. I don't know. Uh, uh, Five hundred, <laughs> and you're fine. <laughs> but um, you know that then filters into your day, and that's what I'm talking about. You then just live day by day in Shemi Three. You didn't play it as a game. I'm sure there plenty of people did, but to get the real greatness out of this game, to understand truly what uses he was talking about, he gave you the spoilers beforehand. Not in terms of story, but the how to play this game. You appreciate it. You take your time with it. We have did so much to put into this game for you to take your time, enjoy the experience. You'll play it differently from another play player plays it and experience it differently. That's exactly what he was talking about. Mm. And I thoroughly, absolutely enjoyed it. I'm back and forth. I'm always going to go back and forth. I said at the time, 
my second playthrough that is that yeah this beat Shenmue 2 for me and as you guys know Shenmue 2 is my favorite game of all time bar none I'll forever be in a turmoil of going back and forth on that no well Shenmue 2 was you know great and you know long and so expansive and amazing but then Shenmue 3 had you know I couldn't I, I to love something as much as I love Shenmue I believe in love in general that you recognize the faults as well as the good things and you still love it for what it is be it a person and thing or anything shemmy 3 has its problems so they still love it anyway it's just amazing yeah and i suppose that second playthrough you've, you've got the pressure off you you know you were trying to entertain people with your youtube series and you, you knew that you couldn't go and collect everything because you're going to turn viewers off aren't you if you just mind them you know imagine if you did the thousand bloody fish trophy on mm. on camera you know, exactly you know it'd be a hundred hundred playlist <laughs> yep but if there's anybody listening out there who is a trophy hunter and is having trouble with that there is a little secret and i firmly believe this is what this is the greatness of yu suzuki okay if he knows there's a thousand fish to be caught what does he do he has a little secret that you can win or like you know by helping a kid out you're doing a really kind thing you're helping a kid out with a football he'll give you a secret fishing spot you can go in there and you can just cheese up to what 80 fish a day so like 12 in-game days you're going to have that trophy yeah so there's an there's an answer for everything even though we're joking and laughing about a thousand fish you can do that in Bali village before you even leave point is you got to give the game something and the game will give you something back and that's the beauty of yusuzuki's games it's nice to hear that you know you, you took that second chance on it and you've come out and you know, claiming that it's your favorite game in this your series now, it's overtaken Shenmue Two, which was your favorite game of all time. You know, Shenmue Three, back and forth. I know, but it's just nice to hear that kind of a opinion, considering you know how polarizing it's been. I, I just don't think people really invested themselves in it, or you know, similar to my sort of situation. The first time I played it, you've got these great expectations where the series is going to go. You know what you're expecting. And some of those things were kind of unfulfilled, so it felt a little bit disappointing at the time. But then if you actually see it for what it is and what they achieved on the budget that they had, I think you've got to applaud them for that, definitely. Yeah, I even went as far as maxing out all the moves. It was, like, I mean, I couldn't have did it on a playthrough, you know? I just couldn't have did it. And that's that, dedication. And that, <laughs> that's the problem. If, if the modern-day gaming industry and its fandom with all the 2021 bells and whistles, including streaming and popularity and influencers, if that stream is flowing this way, Shenmue is just going against all that. This is not a game that you're going to get, you're going to put 10 hours in and feel gratification. Mm. Shenmue's never been about that anyway. Why people went into it with that mentality, you mustn't have known Shenmue that well. You need to give this game something for it to give back. Yu Suzuki has screened that even from the first Shenmue. You have to give it your time. You have to embrace it. It's it, it's a it's a it is a work of art, you know. So, I'm interested. Actually, we're going to break it down now. This is the next series of points into the features of the game. So it's going to turn into a, a little bit of a mini review between yourselves. So I'm going to start with the story first, and if you want to talk a little bit about each of these points, feel free. But if you could rate them, okay, out of ten, and uh, we'll start with you, Matt. So do you want to give us a rating first? What do you think of the story? Um, honestly, I, sorry, Peak. Yeah, I was going to say, I wish we were writing this down on camera. No, so we turn it around at the same time. So yeah. it's not going to be like, Matt just got my number again. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but we'll go back and forth, so... Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I suppose 
if you're embracing the flaws of Shenmue 3, one of the biggest flaws is its story. Let, let, let's not beat around the bush about it. Whether you liked Shenmue 3 or didn't like it, there is one element that we all agree on as the story was not as fulfilling as I think we'd all hoped for. Now, there are reasons behind that, including the budget and various other bits and pieces. So, I mean, I'd give it a solid six. <laughs> is that what you were going to say? <laughs> yeah, all day. Six was in my head from the very second you asked that. Okay, well, you've got an opportunity in the next part to go first and maybe Matt will be doing yeah, the same. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. So, gameplay next. So, how did you guys find the overall controls and the general feeling? Did it retain that Shamu feel for you? Uh, yeah, eight out of ten. Eight out of ten. Okay. Yes, and the reason for that is very simply it functions like a modern day game. It, it, that feeling of just moving Ryo Hozuki, the way a modern day game moves its, you know, its playable character, you know, or characters, it, that was fantastic. I'm, I'm not going to go into the specifics of the animation for example this little point and that little point um you know it it was just i I thought the fighting itself was um you you, it grows on you more of course it's very wishy-washy you don't feel the impact and things like that you know but if it fixed all those things and of course had throw moves you know, you're looking at a solid name, 10 out of 10. Well, I'm going to do combats coming later. So okay. just feeling just the general sort of gameplay elements that you would expect from a Shenmue game. Okay, so holding the controller in my hand, whenever, the, just the way you can move the analog stick. Yeah. Unlike the original games, you know, it just felt, you felt more like you were Ryo Hazuki. And just, I loved how it gained it didn't force you to run. You had the option to choose to run. Every, I don't know, I lost count of how many times I just walked down that path of Bailey Village from Shenmue's home mm-hmm. into the main square, just looking at the beautiful environments, the able to move the camera just around and just take in that beautiful scenery. What did you think about the over-the-shoulder side of that camera? I'm, I'm used to it. I, I can remember my very first game playing that with that style of camera was the Batman Arkham games, Arkham Asylum. That was the very first game I had ever played, which I think is also an Unreal 4 game. That I remember playing that for the first time and it was a little bit jarring, especially because when you held R2 to run as Batman, the camera would straighten up. It would run directly behind him, which was like, well, why didn't you do this? So by this stage, you know, more than used to it. It didn't bother me whatsoever. Fair enough. Matt, you got a score or any other feelings? Um, I mean, I remember picking it up for the first time, obviously, when it came out. And the biggest thing I felt was the weight of Rio. It sounds really cheesy, but obviously we had the tank controls in Shenmue 1 and 2, and they obviously needed updating. But what I felt they got the balance right with the control scheme in, in Shenmue 3 was there was a weight to Rio. You could move him freely, but it didn't. he didn't feel floaty. He didn't go too far down that modern route, if you like. And for that, for me, just that felt really, really good. I think sort of general gameplay mechanics, I mean, the stamina system divides opinion. I didn't mind it, but I can see why people found it intrusive. But it goes back to the way the game, you've been told the way to play the game, which is slowly to take your time, embrace the world. So I'd like to see that element of the stamina system develop more to have maybe more of an impact on maybe the fighting engine, for example. But I think overall, if I if I was scoring general gameplay and and the feel of Ryo Hazuki, I'd give it a solid seven and a half. Seven and a half. Ooh. Okay. I'll record that down. I wasn't expecting half scores, but that's fine. <laughs> seven and a half means he picked the eight, but he didn't want to copy me, so he made seven and a half. That's why. <laughs> that's <about> right. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, so we know Shamu is heavy on dialogue. Characters are a big thing. What would you guys say about Shamu 3's characters, both old and new? So, Matt, do you want to go first this time? Um, yeah, I mean, it goes into the story again. There's some lovely characters in there. I mean, obviously, the conversation with Rio and Shenhua at night are absolutely fantastic. They are among the best conversations in the series, bar none. They are fantastic and they are so in depth, so detailed, and so interesting that I don't understand how you could want to miss them and skip through the game because I think part of the focus of Shenmue 3 was that relationship between Rio and Shenhua, and that was done, for me, perfectly. It was excellent. It lost a little bit in, in Niawu, because obviously I think things were rushed, but those two characters were excellent. I think general, you're looking at Ren, I thought he was fine. I mean, Landy, you didn't hear much from him, but do you ever hear much from Landy in, in Shenmue games? <laughs> Let's be honest. So, But again... Nothing in Shenmue 2, actually. Again, he looked menacing, so it worked nicely. Niao-sun, I would have liked more from. Mm-hmm. But in hindsight, yeah, it, it, it's it's a setup, isn't it, in terms of the story content? I think secondary characters is where I wanted more. I wanted more development from them. So I talk about Sheeling, the uh, shrine maiden in the Aowu. If you look at the website, the Japanese website for Shenmue 3, it talks about her wanting to leave Niawu because she wants to broaden herself and do different things. And there was none of that in Shenmue 3 in terms of the interactions that Rio and her had. And she could have been a really nice character. So I just I felt that some of the secondary characters where in Shenmue 1 and 2, there was a bit more to them. It needed more, if I'm honest, yeah. being brutally honest with you. But I think overall, as a the characters in the game and then obviously you've got the tertiary characters who you know, sort of standard Shenmue characters in some respect. I mean, I, I was happy with it. I'd say I'm shoving a score on it. Seven. Fair enough. Fair enough. Anything to add to that, Pete? Mm. So you're talking specifically just in terms of the like, secondary character, like Matt more or less covered, you know, yeah, the uh, Shenhua dialogue, which was of course immense. That was fantastic. And um, then of course your, uh, antagonists such as uh, Landy and Neosun and things like that. Again, yeah, going back to what he was saying about how Niawu maybe was a little bit rushed. Bailu Village, I just I loved the characters that lived in it, you know? Um like the uh the stonemason um struggling to remember his name. Not the one not not, not the little girl's father who you meet initially originally on, but the one that lives up near the panda market. Is that K K E or something? Yeah, Miss Mr. K. Mr. K. Mr. K. Yeah. yeah. Um just the look and the design and the way he spoke his mannerisms, particularly as well, because like I mean, even even when we were pre-warned, that Rio's a, a stranger in this village. That that thread carries all the way right through the whole Bailu Village episode, and of course the children are like the little things like hide and seek. You know, little nuances like that are just awesome, delightful, yeah. and yeah, and um, oh, what's her name? The abandoned temple guy as well. Mr. Soon, not Mr. Soon, yeah. uh, the, the, the uh, Elder Year, like the character mm. of Elder Year. But I mean, going back to what Matt said, yeah, it's 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 the it's the it's the backstories and the character development of these that they, they just take one little thing. I'll give you an example of that. Like uh, Matt was saying in the Awu with the Shrine Maiden, Shilling, she has a side quest, right? That's yeah. like outside of the main story. Was this a, was this a decision that was made then later on in the game to have these things as side quests? So you know why would you take away from her story? You could have easily have integrated that as a main plot point for her, 
in terms of even though it's a little side quest it's still you doing something with her and developing your relationship with her to the to you know justify why she's there with you at the end whenever you're going over to the old castle mm. i understand what they were doing i think they were trying to streamline the systems from shimmy one and two you know where you just randomly walk into an event they were hoping that by you running around talking to characters and there's question icons popping up it's it's telling you that there's some, there's an activity to do kind of going for that sort of mainstream open world style you know maybe someone introduced this kind of mechanic to use Suzuki at some point but yeah i'd kind of preferred that you know just stumbling across you know maybe time date as a factor or weather you know even in shemu one where multiple playthroughs were like oh my god you know you just walked into this brand new cutscene you've never ever seen before whereas it seems shemu 3 it's more like just running around seeing if a character's got an icon at that particular point in the story yeah it feels a little bit more artificial than just yeah. stumbling across you know, an awesome scene that you can't believe you found. <laughs> exactly. And the, the Shemi series that we were all used to, maybe it was that they were just trying to be a bit more, you know, appealing to general gamers who are used to playing open world games. Because the Shemi series itself is built, like, no disrespect, it's built on meandering tasks to get an answer. Go get this. Go find that. Yeah, you want to wrote a book on Uling Shu. You need to go speak to this person. It turns out it was in the location where you're at all along. Just having her give you a little task for whatever reason that the side quest is built upon for their her to then tell you, like, um, I'm not too sure what she tells you about Liu Hei Hall, but you know, it develops that relationship. Mm-hmm. Gives more weight to her character. Yeah, we all agree that, especially, you know, Shilling and is it Mr. Sui? Is his name? Yes, is it Mr. Yes. Sui? Is That's right, the, uh, yeah. The, uh, the big guy, yeah, from Liu Hei Hall. You know mm. why are they there? What's the what's there? What are they getting there to be in there? So it it doesn't really kind of fit, but you just go with it anyway. So overall scores, I'm gonna go with six again. Six on the characters. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Next up, then mini games. We know you couldn't particularly bring back the old Sega classic arcade machines, but actually they still managed to jam-pack Shenmue 3 with a substantial amount to do. So from Wacky Mole to forklifting again, what did you think of the minigames, Peter? I'm going to give them the minigames. I'm, I'm jumping between 9 and 10 because they, they, they nailed them. For what they had to work with, considering you're not going to get a, a, a Sega approval for an arcade machine, like that we had in Shemi 1 and 2, you kind of just have to take it at face value of what they were able to do. You look at the game choices they had, the whack-a-mole, the, the highway game, you know, this is in Bailu Village, first of all. You had your basic games, you know, just mechanical. The design work on them was immense. I mean, everything from where you put the coin in, the texture work, the, the holes where the moles come out of, the mechanics of the gameplay itself, the highway challenge, you know, um, and then, of course, it all feeds into the economy system with the tickets that you get to use on the wheel. I thought all that was perfect. It was exactly what this game needed. And then, you know, the music was spot on for them as well. I love the new XAQT. I wasn't so much a fan of the QT title because of the fake outs they now brought in. Yeah. You know, they, they were they were so destroyed. I'm not going to lie. Because when you play a game, you want to win. You want to do your best. But when you're getting faked out, it was kind of like, really? And then you get to Niawu and... The arcades, you know, you actually have them in there. The Chobuchan Fighter, again, with its completely comical ripoff of Virtua Fighter. The music, the fact that when you play these games as well, there's a prize that you can win. It's all interlinked. Um, another great thing about the mini games, we're talking about a game that's on a budget. 
Shenmue 3 had the uh, Peel Toss game in Bailey Village, so what did you do when you got the Neo Wii? They made it bigger and better. They gave it its full arcade cabinet with uh, Hole-in-One and the uh, basketball game. Same mechanics, but they just look differently. But yet you're still invested in trying to win because you're going to get the items which then help you get the move scrolls. So I thought they did mini games as perfectly as they could have done. Yeah, and that's without even mentioning Lucky Hit. Not even mentioning Lucky, yeah. Smart Ball. God, Smart Ball. God, they even tied a couple of the move scrolls to Smart Ball. (laughs) Who made that decision? Seriously. I know, and that's really tough as well, those games. I thought it was just get all the balls in the hole. I didn't realize then when it came to the one with the blue blue and red lanes. That's that's Smart Ball Bingo. (laughs) Oh, okay. That's what that is. That's what that is. And to get one of the move scrolls, you have to get the big red... Uh, fader jet and you have to get a bingo on the red line i think it is so not only do you have to get them in spe- like all the holes you have to get them in specific holes it was a nightmare but again you're still going there you're still trying you're still trying to do it you're not going to walk away because you're having fun playing them so, uh, 10 out of 10 10 out of 10 i've got that down yep yeah matt um i mean pete has covered it to be fair i mean i had in my head nine for for a couple of reasons i think lucky hit felt a bit floaty yeah, if I'm being honest, um, I, the ball physics weren't quite as solid as, as Shenmue Two, and I, I, I thought they possibly had too many mini games in the hour. I get, I get why, but I, I'll tell you one. One of my favourites is Bloody Whack a Mole. I can't go playing Shenmue Three or a stream live. I have to play it. It's, I love it. It's, it goes back to what Peter's saying. I'm doing it because I'm having fun, and I want to beat my high score. And I get really shitty when I don't, mm. and it's. For me, it's it's excellent, and and the fishing actually as well, which we haven't really talked about. I know the thousand fish thing is a pain in the oh, ass. Yeah, and log chopping as well. God, I... oh yeah, log chopping as well, which I did mention, which we we forget about. And I mean, the, the fishing's great fun. It's so relaxing. Um, the forklift, I thought they did very very well. I um, it worked very nicely. They just got a bit of everything. It's you know, like you, you naming all these games. And... We got we got spoiled. Yeah, we did. We got spoiled in that front. And again, like like you're talking about the fishing and the forklifting. It's not just you go and do it. There's your cache. It was all interlinked. You had the uh, mm-hmm. you had the fishing, and then you had the tournament. They get the jacket. Boy, did that feel good getting that jacket. You had the you had the forklift, yeah. and then you realized, hey, we're bringing new arcades to the to the town, and these boxes they're equating to little figurines that appear in the Sea of Shenmue building. I love that interconnectivity. That is something that is possibly one of the best things overall in the game. I think they did. Yeah, it's just so well thought out, really. Yeah, and and they don't tell you about that stuff as well. It's like that is the element of Shenmue, like the element of discovery. As oh, this wasn't here before, you know, you just carried mm. a box. I remember doing that. You know, it's you've unlock you're unlocking stuff as you go along. It's yeah, I think they did a great job on the mini games. I'd agree. Next up, music. So obviously, it's a big thing. We love playing it on the show. We originally heard that Shemi One and Two only used around forty percent or something like that of the original pool of music. I don't know how accurate that is, but still mind blowing to me that that's a fact. And Shemi Three seemed to dig into some of that essentially 60% of unused material, notably some of the music that was lined up for Shenmue Online at one point, or some unused music that fans had discovered from the first two games as well. Uh, also some brand new songs we never heard before. So what did you guys think of Shenmue 3's soundtrack? And what are your thoughts on the locations and places in the game where they use that music? Matt? Oh, I'm going to have to break this down, I think, into sort of two sections for me. I think the actual soundtrack for Shenmue 3 is top-notch, 10 out of 10. Love it. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. 
its implementation in certain areas, I think, leaves a little bit to, to be desired. I mean, you had, for example, the darts music going into a random shop, which I thought was really... Uh, some of the music placement was a bit odd. And that's me being completely upfront and honest with you. I, um, I, d- I don't know who who made those calls or, or whatnot, but some of them, again, flip it, some of the music is excellent. I mean, when you arrive in Yawu and you've got that flow of the Lihang River music going the, from Shemu Online, that that soundtrack with the arrival to Nyawu is perfect. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't change that for anybody. It's, it's just inconsistent. It's just inconsistent, which... As good as the Shenmue music is, 10 out of 10, I think its implementation in actual Shenmue 3, I, I'd, I'd score it at an 8, but I think I'm being a little bit biased because I love the, the, the music of Shenmue so much. Okay, so just to confirm, so if you're breaking that into 2, shall we just call it a 9? Yeah, yeah, call it a 9 for, for an average's sake. Okay, then. Peter, what do you think? No, well, this is where we're going to disagree. I'm going to, I'm going to go lower, and I should be going way lower, but I'm not going to because there's other reasons. Um, Music is both in TV, movie, and video game is up there as one of the biggest things for me. It, it, it sets the tone. The composer has to score what is happening on that screen. That essentially didn't happen for Shenmue 3. It was just a, a, a selection being picked from a pool to what potentially could fit this screen. So unlike the original two games and unlike the majority of video games out there, what you're seeing on screen isn't actually being scored by someone. It's just being inserted. So because of that, and then because it's, it, if you, okay, as like a big fan of the series, it's confusing. Do you know, it's, it's like I'm hearing this track from Electronic Shop in Wanchai and Wanzai and I'm hearing it here it just didn't it was confusing but at the same time not only did it work but the reason I'm going to give it a higher score than what I even feel I should is because once again if you're looking at this pie as a whole mm-hmm. that cost them what zero on budget zero yeah they probably they had them tracks sitting there whoever made the decision be it Yusan himself was able to just apply all these tracks to this game at no cost and when you're dealing when you're working in such a confined budget of what he had that's just a master stroke on his part of course he didn't know it 20 years ago when the shamu orchestrations and compositions were all done but it certainly came in handy so i have to appreciate it's that. an interesting point though just just want to interject and just say do you reckon they might have known back in the day that we've created enough music here to cover the whole series that they were playing i mean why did they make so much if you know, they didn't even have the game to go with that music. Is that a do you want? Is that a question you want to explore? Uh, well, just brief, just briefly, if if you think uh, I, I, I think it was just um, extravagance. Yeah, I think I think they had the opportunity to create all that music and with mm. this high and the power that he had at the time and within just Sega. Yeah, Yu Suzuki just went. Do you know what I want? 500 music tracks because I'm going to go through each one and I'm going to find that exact one I want. Even if this one sounds a little bit like what I want, I want the one I want. So go do that. Yeah. And the poor, the poor guys went off and did it. I think that he just, yeah, as you say, just went completely harm in that. But that has worked out perfect. Oh, it's worked out, yeah. Scoreways, <laughs> I'll give it a seven. seven. Burn a mind. Yeah, burn a mind. I should be giving it lower because... I, <laughs> As great as it is to hear those old tracks and great quality too, you know, we're getting better mm-hmm. quality for like if you're listening to a soundtrack on YouTube or anything like that of the original music, 
it's still the original music. You know, especially Raven and Niawu do that theme. Do you know the uh, Sega Saturn shaming music? Yeah, that's what Matt was on about the that, flow of the Blijang River or something. Yeah, that's but that's always the Shamu Saturn music. Yeah, it fits. It fits, and it it, like, it is an epic piece of music. Yeah, it it should work. Yeah. It should work. If if you hadn't heard after the first time, you would have been sitting up on your chair, or on your sofa, or wherever. Maybe I don't know. Maybe Shamu Three would be so much more enjoyable if we'd never even heard that music in the first place. We would be like, guys, listen to this music. Yeah. But we have already heard it so for so many like years now. It's it was on the Xbox Shenmue Two disc, mm. you know. So we we associate that with that, or you know. So I I think seven. I think seven's the first score that I can give it. Okay, fair enough. So I want to talk about environments next. Rio's continuous journey directly after the end of Shenmue Two. So he starts in Guilin, more specifically Bailu Village, before heading to the bustling port town of Niawu. So we were originally meant to be going to another location called Waisha, which was unfortunately cut from the game. But from the two locations that we did get, how well do you think they were designed? And did they still feel like Shamu for you, Peter? Um, 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10 on the environment. That's a no-brainer. Yeah. Yep. That is a no-brainer. Um, alongside music, one of the absolute things I have always adored about the Shamu franchise, which carries into Shamu 3, is the look, the texture work the atmosphere, the feel of a location that you go into. Bailu Village was the place I'd waited to visit for the best part of, what, 17 years. It was just, from an environmental standpoint, perfect. And it was even bigger than what I could have imagined it would have been. It actually branched out so much. The The quality of the foliage, the like, I mean, the design work, the, the weather system, the that entire atmosphere, like the, the, the fireflies around the, the second Shemu tree down where the Grand, Grandmaster Fang is. Mm-hmm. I only noticed that in my second playthrough. I was just standing there. I can't remember the reason. And I, I didn't even notice. I was like, hang on, there's all these green fireflies flying around. The, the ambient noise of the wolves in the background, um, which Eden Shen, Shenfa talks about uh, in Shemu 2, the original Shemu 2, all of that just comes together to make that environment just pure bliss. And then moving on to Niawu, you have the contradiction. You have that, their version of, um, and like, I mean, a port city would be, you know, the little things like the, the design of the yellow chairs in the waiting area of the, the, the ferry terminal. I love, I'm, I'm, I'm a pure geek for that stuff. I love that. The, the texture work, the wooden texture work of the red, huge pillars that hold up the street signs. And all the you know all the shops all the vendors the items they're selling i just have so much appreciation for the effort that went into that aspect of the game that it is an easy tan one last thing i will say and then i'll let matt jump on in this you asked about if it followed from the first two games yeah and I've, I've i've had a long time to think about this and it does to an extent Particularly in Niawu, it got me thinking um, about certain er- parts of that area. Um, for example, Blossom Road at the very top there, whenever you can run up to the temple and you can run past the Shea Shemi building and things like that. Mm-hmm. It's it's very wide. Those steps are extremely wide and that whole area is very open plain. You also have the shops. The shops are all open plain as well. You can literally just run up a couple of steps and you're in. You exit out again. And it got me thinking, one of the reasons why I kind of had a bit of an unsteady feeling about that, and the conclusion I kind of came to, was that the first two games did a very good job 
probably unintentionally, but that was the nature of the beast. The first two games did a very good job of claustrophobia. Whenever you left your Yamanose home, or your house, sorry, in Yamanose, it was all very small and inward. You know, Dubuita was the same. It was a very narrow, to an extent, main street. Whenever you go into every shop, you had to open a door. Now, far enough, you did have a loading screen out of necessity. But when you went into the shop, you felt like you were in that shop. Whatever was going outside in Dubuita on the main street was away from you. In the Awu, and even Bailey Village as well, you know, you can walk into Talget store or the arcade. There's no doors. So you kind of feel like you're still just within that area. You're not isolated to what the like the room you're in or the the you know the building you're in. I kind of had to come to terms with accepting that that's just part of the nature of the beast now, and then Shemi had to go in that direction because obviously you're not going to have loading screens and things like that. But even though I'm giving it a solid ten out of ten, I think they nailed that perfectly. I do miss that sense of claustrophobia, of mm-hmm. really being inside, having to open a door and go inside when um even at the harbor yes you have that big area but then you know you go down the back where the the late number warehouses are and it's all very you know um it's all very containery you know you can only move so much down that end um and then obviously when you're driving the forklift it's all very narrow and things like that shenmue had this great thing of pushing you in to where you were even in Hong Kong, in the streets of Hong Kong, you're just surrounded by these huge buildings, you know? It's very tight, very narrow, very intimate. Shenmue 3 has very open, an open plane. And I'm, I just have to kind of accept that that's just now where the story has went, particularly because you're in rural China. Yeah. And that's just the way it is now. But absolutely, 10 out of 10. It was possibly the best part of the game for me. I, I think they nailed the environments generally. I thought Bailu Village... Um, for me, is one of the best environments in the series, period. I, I really do. I think when you, you play the game for the first time and you step into the village square and by the village and it pans with Rio walking down the steps and you see the children practicing martial arts with the teacher, you see the guy up on the logs doing you know, practicing martial arts and it sort of pans around the village and it feels lived in. And that, that, it, I just, that for me is very Shenmue. It just felt perfect and then you talk about the little details like when it rains you can see like rio's footprints as you're walking down the muddy path towards the village it's little things like that the rain running down the roofs as 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 the as the heavy rain comes in it, it, it just it was perfect and also the color and this is i think where video games a little bit these days certainly the mainstream ones have lost a bit of character for me is Shenmue 3 is colourful. It is bright. I mean, you've got that big, bright AM2 style blue sky. Where do you find that in games these days? Where do you find the, the range of colour in the flowers and the trees and everything? And then you've got the wind moving or the foliage. It's perfect. Bailey Village, perfect. Niao is very different. I think for me, that's where they, it's not quite the same. It doesn't feel quite as lived in, quite as tight for me but i would i would give it um i'd give it a 10 out of 10 if i'm honest okay that's fine and Um, i mean you've kind of sorry do you want to say something else peter before we move on yeah i was just gonna say it took me my second playthrough that moment you're talking about in bailey village 100 percent. it took me my second playthrough to have that moment in the album and you're 100% right whenever you say it doesn't feel as lived in. Like I say, it's very open. It's very wide. So with a couple of NPCs walking down the street, it, sells, it feels very barren. But there's one exception to that in the Awu, and that is uh, Vendor Avenue. 
And I had that moment. I had that same Bailu Village moment. Uh, I was on my second playthrough. I was looking, I, I was shopping. Do you know what I mean? I was shopping because that's what the game wanted of me to do for the task that I was doing. I wanted a moose scroll. So to get that moose scroll, I had to go shopping. I had to find the items at the vendors. And it was uh, it was at nighttime. It was raining. So that that look, like you're saying, the rain, the texture on Rio's jacket, it was dripping off the, uh, the vendors. But mixed with that, you had the uh, ambient music going on of the shopkeepers, you know, ay, 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 and all that stuff. You had, you, it was very populated. There was a couple of kids running about. You had the vendors themselves. You had the steam coming off the, the, the bun vendor and mixing. And I, I obviously, it didn't do this in the game, but it was mixing. In my head, it was just the steam. I could feel it. It was mix, as real. It was mixing with, you know, the rain. And I could more or less do what Yu Suzuki has talked about in interviews. I could smell what was going on in that scene as if I was there. That was the Niawi moment I was so grateful to have to equal the Bailu moment. I couldn't believe it. I was, I just wanted, I, I, I could have, I just stood there for a moment and I wish I could try and get that moment back again in the game. But as you guys know, trying to get it to rain in Niawi is an absolute nightmare. <laughs> just so random. Okay, so since you're both sort of discussing or you've already discussed the graphic kind of aspects to that from the environments let's just have a quick score for this this particular one so graphics what would you give out of 10 peter first i'm gonna bring it down a bit because of some of the npcs and stuff uh, i was i was never the greatest fan of who's now become dubbed as mr muscle <laughs> it's you know is i mean the, his little sidekick the guy and the guy from the trailers um, you know, you have to accept that. You kind of, you'd be very flippant to ignore that, even as people who love the franchise. You kind of do have to be fair. Um, but graphics in general, you know, things like that let it down. But at the same time, the texture work and the bright, the, the map is saying the vibrant colors, you know, it brings it up again. I'm at that point, I'm at that point where seven feels a little bit too cheap, but eight feels a little bit too generous. It's just the characters are really at the end of the day, and it you know. So you're just looking for the graphics of the characters, really, on a score. No, I mean, I mean that's affecting the score. I mean, you give the environment a ten, and you know, you spoke very fondly of how the textures and all the ambience and everything graphically created those environments so to be so beautiful looking. So it's kind of only the characters, you know, the character chore, character, what's that word, character chore, kind of uh, (laughs) style of some of them. Um, very hit and miss in terms of which characters look amazing and which ones not so much. So, I mean, I'm trying to push in the direction of an eight rather than a seven. I think we'll just split it down the post. Matt started this scurry venture. I'll go with 7.5. So Matt, score from you before we move on. Um, Seven, being honest, I thought the main character models were generally very good. I I thought um, Shenhua, I know her model and clothing divides opinion but i didn't mind it i thought rio looked pretty good i thought landy was spot Ooh, on landy was Absolutely really good model yeah spot on he was fantastic and i actually thought the ren model was excellent it's let down by inconsistencies across the rest of the game which is understandable given the context of development and everything else to go with it so yeah for those inconsistencies i'd say a seven okay 
Uh, we spoke a little bit about it earlier, the combat. So it was a massive part of the first two games, taking the Virtual Fighter engine to our players to experience that fluid fighting system. However, in Shenmue 3, the team was forced to create a whole brand new fighting energy. So just briefly, got any thoughts and a rating on the combat in the game, Matt? Oh, it's a toughie. Um, I didn't start to appreciate the combat more until probably my third playthrough, actually. I was playing it on stream and c- c- continued it sort of privately. Mm-hmm. When I started picking out different combos and linking moves together and it, it flowed better I, mean, I won't beat around the bush around it the, the fighting system needs work it's it's not finished but i think quite frankly they were trying to get a system in to a game with a lot of other things going on as well so i think they, they deserve immense credit for having the bollocks to even try it and to pull it off as well as they did they deserve credit it does lack some weight in terms of the the hit detection and some of the animations there I missed throws, but it wasn't a deal breaker. And the biggest thing for me with fighting was it needed a bit more, I don't know, a bit more guidance around it in terms of how it worked. Because you've got a tutorial on the screen of smash and buttons. And I don't think it lent itself initially to that experimental phase of trying different moves, different, you know, different fights, etc. early on, whereas the old system did. So <laughs> I'm torn. I enjoyed it. It needs de- it needs work, but I would probably I'm probably being generous when I give it a seven. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I know you did think quite fondly of the the combat system. Actually, you know, if you give it chance, it ages better than you know the initial first impressions. Yeah. You're so used to the first two games combat, so it's jarring at first having to you know dodge and and whatnot. But yeah. It's a fair assessment, I think. And Peter, have you got a score for me on the, the combat? Yeah, I'm going to be more just honest with it and say six. Six. Um, yeah. Uh, in terms of attacking, Ryu's animations were fang. Mm-hmm. They were great, actually. Um, the amount of move scrolls that were in there and the amount of different move sets you had for attacking with just your arms and legs. Matt uh, mentioned a word there, which I I basically addressed the fighting system in Shenmue 3. I try to appreciate on on every level that i can mostly in terms of you know how much it costs to get a couple of actors uh to your trained into a studio which also costs to both have the attacking and you know reaction animation that is a huge amount of dollar signs that go into motion capture so i have to take that in the account with um trying to appreciate what they were able to do in shamu 3 uh, with the fighting system but it is what it is um i'm just gonna i'm gonna go with six it has little nuances in there which again you know are just so suzuki-esque like if you're really low on health and you move out of the way at the correct time it's going to give you a little special animation mm. and a slowdown that's cool instance for you to land a blow and i do have a i do have appreciation with you know how many move scrolls are in the game and also what it takes to get those move scrolls you have to do a lot of you know exploration in the game in terms of like i said shopping and things like that i have to take that all into account so if i didn't have that it could be an even lower score so i think it's fair a little bit more hard on it but i think it's fair if i'm just going to go with a six there's like matt said there's so much room for improvement but at the same time it's it's a kickstarter game they they did what they could i firmly believe that i think i think six is fair and they've got a good ground base there to expand on that in the future anyway mm-hmm. 
Um, so Shemu's got an abundance of QTEs, of course, touted as bringing them basically into the mainstream and games as well. So how do we feel about how they were implemented in 3? And I'm going to go to you first, Peter. Okay. Aye. <laughs> of course, we all know. We all know what we're going to say here. QTEs, there was, it would have been perfect. It would have been fine. But whoever, whoever made the, the timing decision on them just needs to just pick a different career path. This video games are not for you, <laughs> Uh, who, who, who's playing this a taskbot i mean come on oh. i've had this debate with um i think it's Satrio, you know in 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 the staff discord he doesn't have a problem with them really mm. i've tried even to memorize them and i'm imagining i'm still feeling one or two i understand the yeah, argument okay it seems like there's a little bit of an input oh, delay don't there, there at is. times like i remember on the duck i'm pressing the button that's on the screen and sometimes you still fail yeah i mean catching the ducks is right i mean I understand the argument of, okay, there's a lot of funny cutscenes and they obviously maybe wanted you to see them. That's just making up excuses for it. A cut, as a player, as someone who's sitting here playing a video game, the fundamental feeling you want to somebody playing a video game is that they're enjoying it, that they're happy. Yeah. That they're thrilled to be playing it. Having me feel a QTE is not going to make me feel good. And in fact, those sort of scenes are ones that you'd want to discover in a second playthrough or third playthrough. Like, I'm thinking of the watermelon scene in Shimmer 2. If you nail that first the first time, you're a badass, you punch the watermelon. But in fact, next playthrough, you might, oh, I'll see what happens if I let the watermelon in you. And then you get that com- comedy moment. Um, yeah. And not even comedy moments, just different outcomes. Yeah. If you're someone who loves playing video games and you're really getting into one, and like say that, that even the very start of Shenmue 2, whenever you uh whenever you're chasing Wong, if you feel different, if you feel at different points in that QT, there's a little special little different cutscene. Now it's not even funny, it's not even comical, but it's just like cool while wow, they thought of that. This is awesome. I am I'm kind of actually okay, I feel that first one and that was Okay, you just deal with it, so I'll know what's coming next. Oh no, I feel the second one. Oh look, there's a different thing. In Shemmy Three, it's just you're doomed to failure all the time unless you just know what button's coming. Yeah, and it's one shot failure, or you've just memorized it from feeling it. Yeah. Oh man, I mean, scoreways. This is going to bring the score down, I think. Jeez. Yeah. Because they did go to the, uh, and some of them are extremely funny. In fact, as well. I don't know why, but some of the cutscenes where you're like chasing some of the thugs and stuff, I feel like the graphics are even better for some reason. You know, I'm thinking of that one where he tips the bucket of fish, and just the way the fish sort of hit the yeah. the wooden plank sort of structure, it's just it looked real life. You know, I, yeah. I don't understand what's going on where where the graphics suddenly have a a boost in those sort of cutscenes, but does that? You score yeah. all that kind even, of <laughs> even to be even to be really nerdy about it i know exactly what you're talking about even the foley dub on that so the sound effect dub of the fish just you know just yeah. on the wood like the sliminess of those fish all that effort was put into such things like that but yet you know did they want you to feel it is that, is that was that the, the idea behind it where it's like oh this will give the player a laugh it didn't give me a laugh it made me feel like a loser you know it, it made me feel like i failed i i loved the qts in the original games it made you feel like you were directing a movie yourself you were having an input on a cutscene you had to do this mm-hmm. for the play like you like you were kind of hitting a button to progress a movie which was really good in direction the, the, the shamu did qts possibly the best in any video game but with this one, I'm not. I'm gonna go five. I was gonna go four, but 
I was going to go four because I really do not want to be made to feel like a loser playing a video game. That's what happens every time I feel a cutscene. It's an eye-rolling moment. But because of the cutscenes, because of the comedy in it, which some are crackers. I mean, come on, the fire extinguisher. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, I can't. I'll go with a five. It's, you know, very generous, but okay, five. Matt, I'll <laughs> share those sentiments. He has summed it up very, very well. The, the timing window is a pain in the ass. Yeah. My God, and also I missed that they didn't always branch off the cuts. Some of the cut scenes, as you say, the fire extinguisher one where, where he gets twatted in the face with a log as well, or he falls into the um, river off the boats when the bird squawks at him. They're all, yeah, they're really funny, but I missed like, I know in Shenmue 2, for example, if you failed like a small element of Q2E, it changed ever so slightly so that you failed that little bit, but then you recover and then you're a badass because you've recovered. Yeah. I know it just missed missed that for me, and the timing window was was infuriating, especially on nightmare mode. I I, I could have smashed a controller. So four. Okay. And could I just add how generous I was in my five? Because if you're including, if you're including uh, QT fighter, the arcade machine with mm. those fake outs as well, yeah, I'm I'm including those. So my five's very generous, but I'm still going to stick with it. Fair enough, guys. Right, last one now. DLC briefly mention this if you want. So obviously we've got the uh, well, we've got the the Bailu Chan hunt, we've got the battle rally, and we've also got the casino boat thing going on there with a couple of little side quests that take place in there. So on that front, I think it's Matt next. So what do you think? What you're going to score the DLC? It's a tough one. Oh, and sorry, we've also got the um, the Zang. Oh yeah, of course. It, Side thing as well. So it's a four, four it, pieces of DLC. It's a tough sort one. Of, yeah. Oh, what? He gave it a four. No, no, no. I didn't no, give sorry. anything. That, that, oh that was... my god! I was about to go. <laughs> Man, that's bad. No, I was, I was saying that. I, I was surprised actually. That it was there was four pieces of content actually. I, I forgot <laughs> about the Zang thing. So, so I mean, I'll break them down quickly into sort of individual bits. I mean, the Bailey Chan and the Battle Rally were. Lo- I loved every second of those. They were excellent. Yeah. Thank you very much. Whoever thought of that idea? It's very Yuzuki, isn't it? And it had an outrun feel to it at the start line with the Battle Rally. I though it, it felt like an arcade game i absolutely adore it fantastic exactly exactly, exactly. exactly. It's, it's, it's outrun it's outrun even down to the logo <laughs> yeah it, bloody fantastic mm-hmm. um the story dlc i'll be honest it felt like they shoehorned it into dlc it was blatantly cut from the main story i didn't really see the point of it they could have just left it as dlc but i know they want to recover money etc it's a little bit scathing of me but it's just how i feel about it um the boat stuff the um the boat stuff has some funny moments in it and i know and it wasn't particularly politically correct um for fat shaming shall we say <laughs> 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 my word of surprise people didn't pick up on that more on social media quite frankly um so it had some funny moments in it but i i don't know i wasn't that enthralled by the dlc it, my score is dragged up because of the battle rally because of the bailu chan i'm giving it a very very generous 7 Okay. But I'm I, I let me go on record and say it's the Bailu Chan and the Battle Rally that are, give, are pulling that up. Believe me. Yeah. Do we agree with that, Peter? Do you think that is probably the best oh, wow. best part of the DLC of the three? Nope. No. Nope. Oh, okay. Come, disagree. DLC was ten out of ten for me. 
Okay. Any absolutely ten out of ten. I mean, first of all, you have the Bailey Chan hunt. The ba- the Bailey the Chobu Chan hunt in the main game was awesome enough, so any excuse to do that again was sensational. Not only that, but they improved upon it by giving you a little indicator. Some of them are really tough, and I love stuff like that, especially now that you're exploring an area that you know so well. I love that. And going back to what I was talking about, and this will branch into the other DLCs, which I'll come to in a moment. It was 2015. It was not long after Shenmue 3 was announced that uh, Yu Suzuki did the China Chupax conference. And it was in that that he went into detail. And he went into it more and more and more. And like I said earlier in the podcast, spoilers. He told you what the game was going to be. This game is so interconnected. The economy, everything like that. Whenever you did the Bailu Chan hunt, you got items. You got in-game items. You got costumes to wear, which I... I actually fell in love with. Who ever thought you would fall in love with Ryu changing his iconic leather jacket? But I love the outfits. I love them. I changed them all the time in my second playthrough. I love them. The shoes, pants, jeans, tops. You got the Bailu Chan jacket. I love the jackets. My God, they were amazing. So you ha- And that's just one part of it. The Battle Rally, same again. You got items. It was so well done. It was themed. You had little health mushrooms, which I didn't even realize until I was playing it and wondering why I was getting nowhere. You know, it became, an, you know, it, that was probably one of the things that um, you could argue even brought Shenmue 3 into modern day gaming because that was essentially a speed run. You had to do that as quickly as you could. So there was a challenge there. Then you had the, um, if we're doing these kind of in order, you had the Zong side quest. And again, this is where I come at it from a different um, Shenmue fan point of view. Earlier I was talking about how I, uh, I really missed uh, Shenmue 3 being claustrophobic. I missed that inner you know feeling that you were surrounded by everything i the boat story okay it was just a little story but see the uh, zong storyline you got to go into um the blue spider hideout and finally it was like kowloon you had to open doors and explore rooms and just that feeling brought me right back to shamu too i loved that that claustrophobic what's gonna what's behind this door it brought me back to when i first discovered you know when I, whenever I first seen images of Shemu, what's behind that door? What's waiting for me? Is there anything I can interact with? Who lives in this room? Who's been in this room? That's the world of Shemu to me. And then um, the storyline was great, having to do the uh, Chawan signs again. And you had the hidden trophies where you got different items from doing different Chawan signs. That really engaged the community to try and work out, okay, what sign do you need to make at this location to get this trophy? And then you get a random item, which Rio has an absolutely hilarious response to. Like, what's what's this? You know, a plate of oysters? What? And then finally we have the Mary Boat Cruise. Again, not too much in terms of story, but... I loved it. First of all, you had the doll breaking. It just felt very Japanese. He was trying to win that doll for his sister and it broke and his reactions were just so very Japanese-like. And then as um, you're trying to explore the boat for the uh, little boy, you get to go down to the belly of the boat and you have all the doors and it's eerie music. And again, claustrophobic. You have all these rooms of guests who are staying on the boat. You have random items in some of the rooms and they were all themed. Like this person here, you know, all the food's just cluttered about. And then you have this room here, which is full of fashion clothes. Is a person here on a fashion trip? Was the, the, the woman you did the side quest for in the Aoi, which did she you have a room on this boat? And then, um, unlike the CF Shamu building, you had the, the, the wheel. And of course, this was linked to trophies. But again, I loved getting all those costumes, especially the geese. I swear, when I, when I got that green gi, 
and then combined it with, I think it was just a white t-shirt, you had that original uh, artwork look for Ryo Hazuki. Do you know the one where it's like, uh, is it Miyawaki-san's? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Just just that feeling of finally, after all these years and looking at that photograph or that that, uh, drawing so many times, finally we have Ryo in his green gi and his white t-shirt. And every time I had to go through training after that, or even whenever I had to fight in the Rose Garden, I still had to do that trophy. I wore that. And I just, I, I don't, as a pure Shenmue nerd, I love that. Absolutely love that. That's why the DLC is 10 out of 10 for me. Fair enough. That's a good assessment there. And just while you were talking, Peter, I went through both of your scores there. And we've got a final overall total for Shenmue 3. This is uh, Peter's review. He's got a 7.55. So it's because of that half point that you guys gave. These sound a little bit weird. (laughs) Matt is 7.35. So you both, I could say... Peter's small, like a 7.5. Matt's a little bit lower than that, like a 7. But uh, there you go, guys. IGN, GameSpot, eat your heart out. <laughs> but like I, said, like I said, we're not acknowledging it as the greatest game ever. But in modern-day gaming, like, I mean, a 7 and 8 is not a bad score whatsoever. If you even think back to the Dreamcast days, mm-hmm. whenever, if there was a game that was 7 or 8 out of 10, it was still, you know, if, especially if it was the 8 out of 10, I think it was getting, you know, high kudos. Yeah for being that. The whole idea of Shenmue 3 being a bad game, way off the mark. It's it's, it's completely incorrect. I think 7 out of 10s these days are, are marked very differently to what a 7 out of 10 was when we were young gamers. I think people look at a 7 out of 10 now and go, eh. whereas back when we were growing up, 7 out of 10, you thought, oh, this is solid, this is yeah, this could be all right, I might really enjoy this. It's, I know the 7, the way it's judged is very harsh now, I think. Yeah, I'd be fair in saying that I probably got more favorite games that have probably been a seven in the past than I have games that are 10 out of 10 judging by, you know, reviewers and media. Um, so I, I do agree that, you know, that seven out of 10 for me personally is a very good high score. And, uh, I, I think overall I've probably got more sevens in my, uh, top 10 <laughs> than I have 10 out of 10 games. <laughs> so, that's great, guys. It's interesting, actually, to understand where both your heads at are in terms of going from Shenmue 3 as we head into the discussion on Shenmue 4 next. But first, let's take another musical break with your Shenmue 3 music pick, Peter. What you got for us? Oh, okay. So um, for this, I have chosen just one of the tracks that I really adored when I first heard it. It could because it was just it, it, it. What can I say? I'm just you know I'm an old school techno dance type person. I love that music. Always have done. Um, so when I first heard this in the game, it not only had that connotation to it, but also just this very Japanese arcade feel to it. And it took me back to even when I was in Japan. And it's the second track of the Chobu Channel Fader. Not the first one, the second one. When you get to stage two, it just has this thumping bass line and this awesome riff that runs through it. I just I just adore it. And what's the song called? It, it, that's just basically the title, Chobu Chan Track 2. Chobu Chan Track 2. Stage 2, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, let's play that now.
Welcome back, that was Chobuchan Fire Stage 2 from Shenmue 3 soundtrack, and this is where the juicy part of the conversation will hopefully be. So let's talk Shenmue 4, guys. Whilst we literally know next to nothing about it, but briefly, Matt, can you remind us where we're at in terms of, say, Cedric's mention to you and also what we're trying to do as fans to help get our voices heard again? Yeah, absolutely. So as many listeners will probably recall now, um, I interviewed Cedric um, just at the end of last year and I published the interview on Christmas Day, actually, as a Christmas present to everybody. Um, Cedric, um, when we were talking about the status of Shenry 4 at the time, said that they had some material ready to pitch to publishers. That included some video and a couple of playable little bits, but he didn't obviously go into too much detail of how much and what. So we know a concept for Shenry 4 exists. We know that they were looking to pitch to publishers. What we don't know is whether those pitches have happened or not and what any outcome of those pitches were. So as fans sort of building on that, we every fourth of the month, we use the hashtag Let's Get Shenmue 4 to keep the voice out there on social media. So you can tweet art, you can tweet music, whatever it is, use that hashtag Let's Get Shenmue 4. And the idea is that we keep the name out there and we keep pushing towards a Shenmue 4. Because at the end of the day, if we don't stay vocal, we will not get a Shenmue 4. So it, it, is, it is honestly that simple. I did see, was it Jason Screer? He mentioned a little while ago about that stuff about Cedric mentioning to you about the pitching and everything that we kind of over-exaggerated it at the time. So I I mean, I, that was Roman. Romain or something? Romain, it was. Yeah, yeah you're right. Romain Mahut. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if whether it's being exaggerated or not. I mean, I'm not. An industry insider i don't know i'm just going on the fact the fact of what i have been told publicly by cedric and that is out there that they have something to pitch yeah that's it we, we we don't know anything else no i mean we're not sure where things are but hopefully at least it's moving steadily despite the covid pandemic situation as well it's like we said before it's pushing things a year back i'm not i'm not too sure we can talk about that i missed that discrepancy was so what, what happened there Ah, uh, it was a tweet going around someone talking about Shenmue 4 never happening. And I tweeted back saying, well, they are pitching to publishers. And then Romain came back to say, oh, as far as I am aware, that's been exaggerated. Mm. He's hmm. said from the last he heard or something. Yeah. Um, they weren't even at that stage or something. They weren't even started work or something. Yeah, I mean, with no one said or knowledge, what do you think is the next logical step in this process of getting this game made? It's, of course, they're going to have something to show people. Otherwise, there isn't going to be a Shenmue 4. I mean, come on, look at Shenmue 1 and 2. You know, I mean, Shenmue 1 was being developed and at, the, at more or less the same time and Shenmue 2, as Shenmue 2 was being developed. This is Yu Suzuki we're talking about. I think he's a very clever man. I think whether it be cut content from Baisha, I don't know, um, or, you know, just an example of gameplay in a, in a, in a generic area with improvements they might have made. Mm-hmm. I, no, I, I don't believe, I, I don't know. I, I believe Cedric all the way. I believe they have something um, either on a movie format or playable format to walk into a publisher and into a meeting and go, we would like to make Shenmue 4. We would like you have you guys on board. Here's what we have to demonstrate that we can do that. I firmly I firmly believe that. And I've, we mentioned it before, you know, that cutscene at the end of the game, the end of Shenmue 3, walking across the Great Wall, it's supposed to be an FMV, so it's not even the gameplay there, but they have gone out of the way to create that environment, 
create the wall and everything. And they're not just going to do that to then turn around and convert it into a 20 megabyte bloody video file and whack it at the end of the game. That is something they've gone out of the way to produce. And, um, you know, I think that is a, a telltale sign that they have a little bit more than um, they had at the end of Shenmue 3. That makes sense. But talking loosely now, Peter, what do you think are our actual chances of getting a Shenmue 4? And do you think that the anime, when it is actually released, can help to secure that fourth title in the series? Bearing in mind, if, you know, like your plan doesn't happen where they announce them both at the same time. But say yeah. say if the anime comes first, do you think that will go partway into helping Shenmue 4? Well, the anime itself is a double-edged sword, though, isn't it? I mean, it does offer an out of completing the story. We all know that if a game doesn't get greenlit, um, which is a great thing. You know, for years we've been screaming on the forums, God, just release it as a manga, just release it as a comic book, just release it as a novel. We just want to hear how this story pans out, which um, I disagree with. I've never been really on board with that. Shenmue is a game. Shenmue is a video game. Shenmue is an experience. It's a work of art that you play and you experience. It only could in my mind be thoroughly enjoyed to finish the saga as as a as, as a video game and yu suzuki is even in agreement with that he he only wants to see shenmue finished as a video game also the, the anime is a fantastic entity for us to get a shenmue fans let's make no mistake about that we have not just a little bit of shenmue content we have an abundance of shenmue content borderline mainstream Shenmue content coming our way, which is fantastic. That will absolutely no doubt help the case for a Shenmue video game even more. You know, the Shenmue, the, the video game fans of Shenmue have been about a lot longer than what will hopefully be anime fans of Shenmue. So I think it'll do absolutely nothing but help its case. Um, will we get Shenmue 4? Of course, you have to believe. We, we, we'll, we'll never give up the faith. That's why we have the tweet-a-thon every month. That's why we we make sure to go out of our way to keep the Shenmue series alive. I mean, even if it's just word of mouth, even if it's just by making a bit of clatter on Twitter every month. We 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 did that before in the past. It worked. We will continue to do that. If we didn't do that, then you may as well say Shenmue is dead. That's why the fans are so important in contributing every month to uh, the Tweetathon, to sharing their experiences of playing the game. <sighs> Do I think it's a hard sell to publishers? Possibly, yes, but it's not impossible. Mm. Shenmue 3 proved that you can do Shenmue on a modest budget, and it was a mod- modest budget by today's standards. And like we've talked about um, privately, I mean, even if it has to be that way, that's fine. But you already have the engine there. You already have the characters there, the animation, the script, the the mechanics. Everything is already there. Hmm. If you want, if you can make just little improvements to those, maybe a little bit of extra mocap. The voice recordings, as we heard from the Bill Black interview, do cost an element of money, but he's also on board to, you know, taking on their own noise. He's he's moved on from the corporation he talked about, and he thinks he could time budget it better. There is absolutely ample opportunity for Shenmue 4 to exist on a modest budget and still be a worthy successor and hopefully completion of the story of Shenmue. There is... There is a worry I do have, and his name is Yu Suzuki, <laughs> because that man doesn't settle for second best. Yeah, I mean, I have got this point a little bit later, 
some of the stuff that you're talking about right now. I mean, it's fair enough. You can carry on talking about it. It's no problem at all. No, no, fair away. Go ahead. We'll stick, we'll stick to the structure. Okay, dokie. I mean, I was going to ask Matt if he's got anything else to add about the anime and things like that going towards Shemu 4. The anime being successful, assuming we don't have the joint launch thing, I think it's imperative to the, the series going forward. It makes those conversations with publishers easier, that they can lean on a successful anime and go, you know, look at this target market. Look how many people have bought into this anime. Look how many people have then converted over to the games. And then you can have an ecosystem with it in terms of merchandise, in terms of we're all suckers for it, aren't we? Yeah. Merchandise. We, we buy all of it. So if the more people that are there to buy merchandise, to buy games, it, it makes those conversations a lot, lot easier. And I agree with what Peter's saying. For a Shenmue 4, I would love them to use the engine they've got and just improve on it because it's a solid engine. There's, there's nothing glaringly wrong with it. It's just they ran out of money. So the things like the throws could be added in, the fighting system could be tightened up. Some of the animations could be tightened up. it's not going to require a massive amount of overlay. I mean, I'll quote Ryan Payton when I interviewed him. He said 70% of the time they had developing Shenmue 3 went into the systems and all of those things before they then fleshed out everything else. Well, that work is now done. They can improve upon it. You're not going to be spending the time on those those elements. You can go in on the other areas which need improvement. And the biggest thing for Shenmue 4 is, is for me, they have to go in hard on the story. Whether Shenmue 4 completes the, you know, the saga or not, and I don't believe Yuzuzuki will want to complete it as Shenmue 4, but I do think it should be kept under consideration considering you're running into a risky business asking for a fifth game as well, depending on the success of a fourth game and potentially an anime. Mm -hmm. But it has to really engage the story now. It has to push it forward. It has to engage people. Because I think if it doesn't, then we're in a very tricky situation. Will Shenmue 4 happen? I mean, I, I believe it will. There's always an element of doubt. I mean, what we do know is obviously Shenmue 3 at least broke even, if not made a little bit of money. But did it meet sales targets for the publisher? We don't know, assuming not. But then were those sales targets necessarily appropriate? Again, it's a discussion to be had elsewhere. I think we're, we're, we are in a better position than we were. Let, let's not beat around the bush about it. We have got Shenmue content coming out of our ears. Yeah. And there is potential in this franchise that if it's handled correctly could really it's never going to be a mainstream game let's be honest but it could be profitable it could do well it could expand the fan base and create an ecosystem of merchandise games and the like so yes i do think it will probably happen but there is always going to be an element of doubt given especially the history that we've got yeah great answer man i mean we are hoping that fans are going to buy into the shimmy series even coming from the anime, you know, hopefully can drive up those potential sales in the future. Because like you say, it's not a massive juggernaut of a profit machine. So we do need every little bit of help that we can get. So Matt's just touched upon a couple of things there, Peter, but thinking ahead into Shenmue 4, based on what we discussed previously for Shenmue 3. So what do you want to see them actually expand on, change or improve for Shenmue 4? I um, honestly, like Matt said, the story. Um, I honestly thought Shemi 3 was fantastic in terms of his environments, 
um, the economy system particularly really helped elevate that. I, I had a ball, like I said, shopping around the choice of vendors. All like I, I think I even read at the time some people kind of complained about all these inanimate objects, but the point, but they're not inanimate. All these little collectibles, the toy capsules, you know, there were side quests based on them, things like that. That doesn't need expanding whatsoever. That's that's awesome. That's already done. Like Matt was saying, the systems are already in place. Just go in hard on the story. Mm. And what okay, I'll say this. Whilst obviously I haven't read them, I do have in my possession the Shemu one and two script sets. I think um judging by the thickness of them, <laughs> that those games had some excellent writing staff on them. They branched out as far as they could beyond those scripts in terms of characters and subplots and things like that. I think Shamu 3 failed in that area. Right. So you think that you've, you're saying that your scripts are maybe thinner than the actual Shamu 1 and 2 games are? Yeah. Yeah. Considering the content, especially in 2, mm-hmm. that we all know of how grandeur a game that is. Yeah. I, I don't know if that script would cover that. Um, is there a chance that there could be like a later script that, you know, Yu Suzuki's chopped and changed the chapters so much that perhaps, possibly. you know, part of Shemu 2 is in a later script, for example? Possibly. That's that's why I wasn't even, that's why I wasn't even sure if I le- le- legitimately got what I was promised in the Kickstarter. I was promised <laughs> the Shemu to the one to kick, like script set, right? Yeah. But as we all know, the Shemu saga is broken down into chapters. Mm. Chapter 1 is Yokosuka, obviously. Chapter 2, all my script there is Hong Kong. Shemi 2 covers Hong Kong, Kowloon, and Guilin. I ain't got Guilin for a start. I know that for a fact. But I haven't read them. Uh, it's 10 pence a word I've had quoted for translation. Wow. I am paying mm-hmm. hundreds of pounds to get them things translated. Hopefully my uh, Japanese studies can help out at some point. Maybe. Um, <laughs> just, a, just a quick question, Peter. So uh-huh. you own those scripts, and uh-huh. was the three backers who were given that as a reward so has Yu Suzuki mm-hmm. actually got those books anymore has he got his own copies still oh yeah they're 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 numbered okay so he's, he's not just got like three to 16 or something he's like fuck <laughs> no that's that's what I was concerned that's what I was even talking okay. to one of the other guys about before we got them I was sitting going if oh if Yu Suzuki would have OCD like I think he does is he okay with just like an entire Shemi Saga script set out there without the missing first two you know, I couldn't love that. Just send them the whole lot. Go on. We trust these guys. Go on. You can have the whole shebang. Thank you very much. Yeah. Didn't happen. <laughs> but um, they're basically on the back of them. There's that, you know, like a post office, you know, like a little date stamp. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, it's like one of those little date stamps. And I, I can't remember what my numbers are. They're, I think the, the first one actually is uh, 072. So there's a lot of oh, okay. a lot of copies. If you think about it, that script had to speak to everybody on the dev team, you know. Yeah. So, and they had such a big team at that time that you know, yeah. it's probably hundreds. Yeah. Perhaps. So um I I haven't translated them. I don't know what's on that last page of the Shemi 2 one. But there's absolutely no way, no way that game equals to that script set. And I think that's a testament to the writing team that they had on Shemi 2. I'm not too sure. I think there was like up to 16, 17 writers on Shemi 2. Yeah. In the credits. It was around that. And I think there was three on Shemi 3. Three. I mean three. And we've actually had a little bit of a discrepancy with that as well because we were touted one of the original writers to come back into the series and then you know when we get to the credits the writer is like a a guy that no one's ever heard of before oh masahiro yashimoto mm. he was the original yeah, yeah, yeah. like in the, in the kickstarter yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah. yashimoto-san yeah i don't know i don't know what happened then 
Unless he's just being credited because he did write the original scripts and obviously these games are based on them. Yeah. So he has to be given credit. That could be it. That could be it, yeah. You know, but yeah, I, for, for Shenmue 3, what it was, I I genuinely feel that's where the ball was dropped um, in terms of, you know, subplots, writing, character development. It, it was the lack of writers on the project. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Peter's point actually around the scripts is a valid one, actually talking about the development of, of, of games as we know. Um, when I was talking to Ryan back last year, he said that Rio's journey is mapped out. They know what he's going to do and where he's going to do it roughly. Obviously, things can change over time. But what he was saying is it's how you flesh out the B characters and the C characters, which aren't necessarily written down at the time, which obviously Shenmue 3 suffered for because they didn't have the team to do the B and the C characters to the extent I think the first two games do. Mm-hmm. So... You both kind of touched upon this earlier, and I interrupted you, Peter, sorry, but... <laughs> no, you're good. Now, you know, we do expect to see them hopefully reusing these assets, the engine, all the mechanics from Shemu 3 into Shemu 4, save on budget, that sort of stuff. But I do know that Ezra did mention to you, Matt, in the interview that Yusuzuki, he's got this particular vision, uh, he's always looking to go that extra mile, and uh, I think he, had, he was a little bit disappointed with some of the fan feedback at the time, and so... You know, he's got that kind of mindset now where he's potentially even wanting to restart the whole thing again from scratch or, you know, perhaps go into the Unreal 5 engine now, which could be a, a possibility. So there's choices out there, but obviously going at it from a financial point of view, do you think it's wise or even at all possible to not just go too mental and, you know, just work with what they already have now? Uh, Peter, do you want to get into that? I'll bring me into it. Okay, um, I think it's a wrong move. Um, you've had you've had the ask a lot of Shemmy fans themselves alone to uh, get on board with this new look, this new Shemmy look. We've been so used to the Dreamcast graphics for the best part of 15, 16 years. And now we have these new graphics, these new control mechanisms and things like that. Are you really then going to just develop a brand new game engine and completely overhaul the look of an, uh, another game? It's just going to make it even more jarring, I think. And gamers love familiarity. If you're coming into a sequel of a video game that you've played before, you you love to see that they've included the things that you're used to, but then expanded upon them. I think it's just absolutely a no-brainer that he just takes that engine. You can improve it graphically. You You can improve the texture work. You can improve the frame rate. You can improve the number of NPCs on screen. You can improve the weather system. You can do what you want, but within the confines of what you already have in place. I think... And, and I'm sorry, where is he getting the, both the time and the money to start from scratch? I, I'm not going to lie. I was I was concerned. I did read that. Yeah. And I also read how he's looking to make it even more accessible to casual gamers by including waypoints and stuff. Mm. God, no. I mean, no, to, obviously, to the Shemu fan base, a lot of those things are unnecessary, like we mentioned with the, the side quest thing, where we just want to come across there's a better way than that, but just come across things naturally. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I do get your point on that, that, you know, it's it's a little worrying to make it a little bit too mainstream of a game and kind of, uh, you know, it is, at the end of the day, a game for Shemu fans, and that's what we had with Shemu 3. We had sort of this, uh, a lot of elements of fan service, etc., to cater for the fans. I know 
Shenmue 4 is probably going to go away from that sort of fan service now. But to go a little bit too mainstream could be a mistake, do you think? But this is the thing. It, it's hard to know where the man's headspace is at because it's a complete battle of balance. And it now comes off as contradiction. On the one hand, he's Yu Suzuki, the ever uncompromising Yu Suzuki. I do things my way or the highway. But at the same time, it's like, oh, well, this game is for the fans. And then in Shenmue 4, you're saying, okay, we're kind of not going to do it as much for the fans anymore. But at the same time, I hear your concerns about the story. I'm going to make the next game more story. So it's 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 all a game of contradictions. And I think if he's going to be pitching that to publishers, I think it's a very clever game he has to play in terms of striking the balance for us as fans to look forward to a game that we think will be great, but also to the publishers that they think that he's going to make the game that's going to sell. I think he's governed by the team around him as well and influential people that he works with, I think the message would have gone through to him about the story. We, I'd be surprised if it didn't. I think the message would have gone through about the systems and the things that may need improving. But I, I, it's an absolute no-brainer for me to go in and improve on the system you've already got. We know Unreal 5 is back compatible with Unreal 4. There shouldn't be a huge amount of work. If he does want to explore the Unreal 5, that it's not going to deviate too much and cost too much money. So I'm all for that. But what I'm not for is, and this I mean this in the greatest respect possible, wasting time building a new engine where actually there's not a huge amount wrong with the old one. And given that we as a Shenmue community want a fourth game. And let's be honest, Shenmue open world games are expensive to make. And Shenmue being a niche product doesn't lend itself to being able to obtain a big enough budget to make it open world and do all the things that I think users who want to do, including rebuild a new engine. Whereas if you can cut, you know, cut out rebuilding the engine, just improve what you got, then I think he can have the scope to get the vision that he wants. And that's what I want at the end of the day, that he's able to realise his vision, but that we don't end up in a situation where the franchise is compromised because too much is being asked for. I sound greedy a little bit here, but I want more Shenmue. I want more content. And I just think overhauling an engine, whether he will or not, I I don't think that's the right move. I think you've got to go what you have and improve upon it. Yeah, that's fair enough. And you both mentioned the story being one of those factors that you want to see expanded. So going into the meat and potatoes of the game now, we've got many theories on where Rio's journey is going, which characters might pop up again in the future, whether Rio's eventually going to get revenge on Landy, or if you know perhaps all of the wisdom and teachings he's learned along the journey will mature him as a person away from that aspect. And of course, you know, Rio isn't the only main character anymore. Along for the ride, we've got Shenfoir and Ren too. So let's start with you now, Matt. Where do you see the story heading? It's difficult. I think, obviously, we've ended up on... We're, we're going towards the Cliff Temple. Um, so you'd imagine, obviously, that's going to be a part, part in the next game. I think the way the story, in my mind, will go is, I think, we know that Rio at the moment is nowhere near a match for Landy. He can't touch him. So... His ability in martial arts is not going to improve over a short space of time. So I could see them doing a time skip somewhere in terms of his training. Something will trigger it. I don't know. I mean, one one theory I've held quite for a long time is that there's going to be a death close to Rio. Because let's be honest, right? 
in all of his adventures so far, what, what repercussions has he really had? Nozomi got kidnapped, but he got her back. But he, he took down the Mad Angels. What happened after that point? You think a gang would be pretty pissed at being taken down by two blokes. So there'd be repercussions, surely. But there haven't been any that we know of. In um, Shenmue 2, again, where's the repercussions of his actions? There has to be a payoff in terms of Rio being so headstrong, so blinded by revenge that something is going to have to happen to him that's that moment that he then realises this is the wrong thing to be doing and there's a bigger picture. So could Ren die? I, I could see it. I also would love, and I think we should be meeting Zimming by Shenmue 4. I think that I think Zimming's got a big role to play in the story. And I think I'm really intrigued to talk about Shenhua's lineage and where that's going and her her ties to her ancestors and the ancient cities. I mean, we've seen it in the trailers, like Shenmue Online. I know it's apparently not canon, but I, I don't know. I call bullshit on that. I reckon there's more canon in there than we realise. <laughs> I think Peter's got a lot to say about that. Did you put a tweet out the other day? I read somewhere um, you mentioning about the Shemi Online trailer, Peter. Yeah, it was on the forums. Uh, we had a topic of discussion on the forums about something. I just caught a post on the fly. I'm just like, oh, I had to reply to that. But basically, yeah, as you know, as, as we all do, I love the old footage, you know, the old Shemi Online footage, the old Project Berkeley footage. <clears throat> Matt touched Matt basically into the story aspects of it there. I think I'll take the, a different uh, approach to it and talk about where we're going in the environments and things like that. Um, I mean, structurally, as long as the budget's there, I, you know, you just look at what we have in the past. Shamu 1 had, you know, essentially two main areas. You have Dubuita and you have the harbour. Shamu 2, okay, you have Hong Kong, Kowloon, a little bit of Guinea. Shenmue 3, you have Bailu Village and the Awe. So I think wherever Rio is going, um, it's going to be the same structure, obviously. You're going to have, you know, the same type of deal where it's, you know, you're going to this location and you're going to do stuff there. It's going to lead you to another location and you're going to do stuff there. Um, what I will say is I think I might have something juicy to bring to this podcast for people listening. Now, I have no insider information whatsoever. Please as a prerequisite at this time but on my second playthrough like i say i i did everything i did absolutely everything from side quests to collectibles the whole nine yards right there was a line that was said and it caught me off guard very curiously i'm a i was i was playing the japanese dub and so i had subtitles on and oh my god it it just made me excited at just I, didn't even, I don't even know what the sentence was. I just seen the word. So basically what happens is if you're playing the Shemi, if you're playing the Shemi 3 storylines and you're also doing the side quest, there's a last side quest you do. It's called The Greatest Fortune. Uh, basically the long and short of it is it's it's the last side quest, so it's nothing big deal. Uh, a fortune teller gives you, you know, a, a task. And you have to go to an area he gives you. And for me, it was up at the uh, top of the uh, new parties, like I'd say the burger joint and things like that. Yep. There was two guys sitting there, and you have to fight these two guys. Mm, I remember this one, right? And you you fight, you have to win the fight, obviously. And so when you win the fight, and I swear to God, this happened. There was like a sit forward in my seat moment for something so insignificant. You beat the guys up, and the other guys are acting all comedically, like "Oh no, you're better than us," or "You're a great fighter," or something. But then the one guy turns to the other and says something which I thought is a shamu, like historian, very significant. He says, come on, quick, we have to go. We're going to miss our train. And I was like, what? 
there's like a train station here near, near Niawi. Why is that line in there? Mm. That line makes no sense. And straight away, I thought back to the old footage <laughs> we have discussed for how many Baker years. Stuff. The Project Berkeley green train. And I was sitting going, we're going, does Niawi have a train station? Are we going to get that train in the next game? Is that how like Rio's going to get to that cliff edge? Because we don't actually see him leave Niawi. Yeah, see this thing, this is what me and Matt have talked about. The transition from the end of Shenmue to suddenly halfway across the Great Wall, you know, we've we've spoken in the past. I mean, I personally, I'd rather them bring that back, go back to the boat where Rio's talking to Shenfar's dad. You know, we didn't really have a, a very satisfying conclusion at that point before we were whisked away onto the Great Wall. So it would be nice to come back and get that journey to the Great Wall aspect. Yeah. So... I mean, we'd all love to see the bloody train. Where are they even going on the boat? Does anybody know? Well, it, at that point of the game, you, you're presuming that they're heading to the Cliff Temple. You know, the No, but by that boat, though, so, so then is, is Shanfa's dad going with them? They, they must be going back to Bailey Village on that boat. See, and that would be a good, nice thing to do if they go back to Bailey Village, have a little chat that maybe we can... You know, I've, I've, I've seen people say, like, stuff about the Shemu tree, the mirrors, that all that all that sort of stuff should have been answered in Bailu Village while we got the chance, but that's not necessarily saying that we'll never ever go back to Bailu Village again to uncover those mysteries. So perhaps Shemu 4 could start out on that boat, they're heading back to Shemfar's house, maybe they have a sit-down chat, he reveals all about the mirrors, why he was working in the stone pit, and we do end up getting those answers that we've craved for, you know, nigh on 20 years. That would be in my opinion, a great way to start the fourth game. What questions specifically are you looking the answer to? Like, I mean, the Shemu tree or the Murs? Um, I just thought the Murs were created for the, you know, the 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 Roman the Roman Empire, the Emperor guy, the, yeah. the Emperor. You, you know, I and I and that was it. I I don't know how to, you know, I don't know how to interpret the legend behind the Murs. One of them foreshadows doom and gloom with a bloody dragon. The other. But the also other legend gives you a treasure. Um, the Shenmue tree has it got mystical powers. They related to Shenfa. Are those things you think could be even satisfactorily answered ever? Well, it's you know? it's it's that underlining tone that we've had. You know, it's a mystery why, you know, at the end of Shenmue two, some guys working on these two massive mirrors. You know, what's the point of that? Is it is it just decoration? You know, what is the the purpose of him working away so hard on? two giant stone mirrors then what is the purpose of these strange feelings rio and shenfo are getting around the trees um rio's got one back at his house shenfo's got one outside her house is that even her house that we see in that ancient civilization chinese emperor temple place in the flashbacks you know me and matt have spoke about stuff that we want to see eventually get a decent answer to like say if they just ended the series with rio fights landy Rio wins credits roll I think we'd still have that well you know what was all that stuff what you know why were we introduced to this stuff if there wasn't going to be a satisfying conclusion at some point yeah I'll actually do you know what if you're talking about what will be included in Shenmue 4 which I feel had more so much of a place in Shenmue 3 and I don't even know what was ever even considered Mm -hmm. flashbacks Mm. flashbacks I mean flesh that story out by flashbacks even when rio's like seen uh grandmaster fang's tree and then had that little window of his father with old footage from the dreamcast i mean 
were, I mean, that was the prime perfect point of inserting a flashback with him and um, is it Long Sun Zhao or is that that's Landy? So Sun Ming Zhao. Yeah. You know, that's that. Where's that? That's that's a no. I'm not even a writer, and you could see that. Have them training together at that tree. Have flashbacks to Iwao and and when he was in China, possibly meeting Ryo's mother. Shamu Four. I mean, God, if they haven't explored that in ter- in terms of a storytelling mechanism, flashbacks will do that in abundance. Even with Shenfa, you're already kind of getting flashbacks with her anyway. In terms of like we had in Shamu Two when she was born, mm-hmm. it achieves so much. It already has us asking questions now about well, where was that house? Why is she living here in Bailey Village? Yeah. It, it has so much potential. I don't even know why they haven't even considered that. And we've got stuff about Shenfa that, you know, we haven't even mentioned a, a potential powers. You know, how do you see Shenfa's story playing out across the next game or two? I think Yu Suzuki's kind of given that away in interviews. He's a very firm believer in power of the earth and harnessing it inside you. Key, I think it's called, and that you can manipulate forces with just the power of your being. He, he does believe in that, I, I think. And I think that's just kind of basically what he's getting at. We've seen it in the Project Berkeley trailer, which I kind of tend, I try and not lean too heavily on. As far as I know, a lot of stuff was very concept, and it's not a given that we'll see even any of that in future games. But um, the power of Key, he has spoken about many times in interviews, and I think that is what Shenhua kind of possesses. I mean... I don't know about her Dr. Doolittle stuff where she can walk and talk and sing with the animals. I don't know what's going on there, but in terms of that scene... And get people to change their attitude. Yeah, and yeah, that scene with Yanling, yeah. I mean, she clearly... There was some of that stuff going on, I think. I don't know, maybe she moved a bottle off the cabinet with her eyes or something, you know? I don't know, but yeah. I, I don't know. I don't think that stuff's... I think that stuff's inexplicable. I think... I, think, I don't think you will ever get answers to that stuff. It's, you know, it, it's stuff that can't be explained, so you just kind of go with it. It is interesting that, you know, Rio's never thought to mm-hmm. ask her, <laughs> you know, all this time on the journey there, the nighttime conversations, you know, even heading into Niawu. He's never at once said, you know, so, <laughs> you know, what did you do to Yang Lang? <laughs> There's certain aspects there that you think would be obvious for Rio to ask. So, so maybe, like you say, they are kind of keeping that, close to the chests, you know, it's not really meant to be thought of in such an extravagant way. It's just something that you kind of have to buy into. And th- yeah, perhaps. in terms of explanation, you're not going to get it, but like as Matt was saying, and like I've, I've also spoken about as well, that they, they, they sh- I think they, they kind of dropped the ball with the Shenmue online trailer. Mm. That, that It's too on the nose. Yeah, there's too much going on. <laughs> the, the, whole, the, the whole imagery of uh, the Shenfa in, in the early days of Shenmue, her princess bridal outfit, the, the legend of the dragon and the phoenix, and then we get a trailer of Landy physically controlling a Chiyu dragon, and then Shenhua summoning a flaming phoenix. It's just far too... There it is! That's literally what we were telling you was going to happen, and there, is it, there, is, there it's happening. I mean, what are they going to do? They're going to retcon that then, and then just come up with a story where everybody goes home happy and has a beer? You know, <laughs> It's not going to happen! Well, the fact that that is out there as a medium now, is that going to potentially disappoint us if stuff like that doesn't happen now? Oh God, no! Oh, um, if it doesn't happen, yeah, yeah. Because, because I want, I, even though we have that Shamu online stuff, I want to see it. You know, I want to play it. I want whatever is in that cliff edge. I want whatever causes. You know, is there a reveal of the treasure? Is it physical treasure? Does Rain get that? Is there a dragon going to come out of the sky? Is Shenhua going to transform into her? You know, her her, her outfit and do all sorts of mad, crazy stuff. 
I want to see that. Hell yeah, I've I've loved that mystical element of the Shemi story. Next, I'm I'm going to go to you now, Matt. So we haven't really spoken about her, but obviously these the inclusion of Nyauson, you know, the second huge body that's kind of been shown to us since the early days, like the Shemu premiere stuff. She's been one of those main sort of characters that we've only just been introduced to at the end of Shemu 3. So she obviously has such a massive role going forward. So do you think you've got like any thoughts about her motivations or how all of this is going to be linked to, say, the mirrors, etc. moving forward? I mean... <laughs> She's a master manipulator, isn't she? That's how she's been described in the early in the early content. And bearing in mind, we know that she's attempting to take over the Chi men. And as far as we're aware, she probably thinks Landy is dead. Although the boat trip would guess that he probably isn't somehow. For what for skipping a few bits, I think from Nielsen, what I want to see is I want to see what what her motivations are. Why does she want the mirrors? What what is it for? Does she want the, yeah the legend yeah, the treasure for herself? What what is what is she trying to gain from it other than screwing Landy over? How does Zimming fit into her story arc as well? Mm. And how is she going to impact Rio? I mean, she's a master manipulator. Is that going to then impact Ren, for example, who clearly has his eyes on the treasure? I know he's got a friendship with Rio. And he's got her eyes on Neo Son as well, actually, Ren. You are, yeah, <laughs> cheeky bugger. Is she going to manipulate Ren to do something that would, you know, to, to, to push him towards it or think to push to, him towards the treasure, but actually she's just using him for something else? And then as a sort of payoff of that, um, that Ren ends up dying. Mm. You know, he ends up. Yeah, last minute realizing what he's done and 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 sacrifices himself i mean there's so much that can be done here but i she's a manipulator that's the big thing i want to see that in action i want to see her carve her way through that story and and mold people to her will and and just really go into that sort of that character of her of, of how nasty she is and how evil she is and also how does Landy fit into that? What what's their relationship? What's what's gone on there as well? Yeah, and you obviously you mentioned Zimming as well. We get that Shemu two side story comic that shows actually Niao yeah. Sun speaking with Zimming. So there's obviously a relationship that's going to happen there. Uh, I think it's pretty much a given that eventually we will see Zimming and. Perhaps do you think Shuing will come back to tie that sort of story up as well? I'd be surprised if she didn't. I mean, I know we didn't pay too much credence to the chapter cards because obviously things have changed over the years, but she is in the final chapter card, if I remember correctly. Mm. And I'm sure she appears earlier on again as well. So I would expect, especially with Zimming, is pretty much nailed on to appear, in my opinion. I would expect to see Shuing come back for, for some some reason, and that will be the Zimming story for me. Okay, so guys, before we kind of move on, is there anything else that you want to say regarding Shemu 4 going forward? Anything that stands out to you that we might have missed? I don't know about it stands out or what I missed, but for the love of God, just use a damn engine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just make the game. You know, obviously we'll, we'll embrace it and critique it whenever it comes, but, but as long as we'll have the opportunity to get the game, whatever whatever will be, will be. Um, as just as long as we have the opportunity, and of course, Shu Suzuki has the opportunity to give it a crack. You know, if, let, let them somebody have it in their heart. Just I don't mean to sound like 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 begging, you know, but it I cannot emphasize enough on a personal level from him how badly 
he wants to finish this saga how much he loves this saga how much he loves how the fans love this saga out of out of his entire gaming career of all the amazing accolades he's achieved Shenmue is his life now for better or for worse he's kind of kind of getting in the way of potentially other games he wants to work on he's mentioned he wants to do you know a racing game again or you know these sort of things and Shenmue franchise in a way is is sort of holding him back a little bit because he knows he's still got to finish that within his lifetime and you know do you think it's um it's difficult on him because if he's, he's got i mean obviously he wants to so he's passionate about it he's still got that love and drive so it's not like finishing the saga is going to uh, be hard to do and something that he, he particularly doesn't want to do but do you think it's it's sort of standing in the way of him doing other projects and stuff mm, I, d- I don't know i mean we don't know uh, this is sort of airing to a different topic altogether but yeah assuming well, we don't know how the lights are being kept on at wisenet so could he be working on other things now to help fund a potential shenmue for i mean there's there's a realm of possibilities out there. Something's keeping the lights on there. They got to be working on something if it's not Shenmue Four. So he could well be working on other projects for all we know, and has sort of decided I'll use that as a medium. But then it sort of feeds his overall vision of of, of finishing the Shenmue saga. Yeah, but that's what that's what we heard, wasn't it? After Gamescom 2019, mm. I think it was, wasn't it? He went on to. I think he went back to Monaco, I think it was. Or was it after Monaco 19, actually? I might, might be incorrect in that. Um, but yeah, there was the photograph put out as well. I think it was one of the Kickstarter updates where he was in a hotel room trying VR yeah. uh, hardware. I, I know for a fact that he was on a reconnaissance mission with his camera for a new game. Now, whether this new game would come to light or not, there's a different story. But his intention was there, which is amazing. But I do know as well, like, I mean... He wants to finish this saga. He he, he just wants Shenmue finished. He feel he feels like he owes a debt to us as fans, particularly after the Kickstarter, to finish this franchise. The note at the end of the game says it all. At the end of Shenmue three. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. definitely. I mean that that's very poignant words from you, Suzuki. Actually, how heartfelt it is for, to to him personally, uh, and what it means to him to try and finish the series. So, I'm going to say, uh, obviously, we don't know anything at all. No insider information, but prediction-wise, pie in the sky, where do you think that we might perhaps see an announcement for Shenmue 4? And do you think it could be this year, or is it still a few years away? Matt, what do you think? Oh, it's a few years away. I think COVID's played havoc with timelines, if they've they've even got anything signed off at this point and getting green light. I'm not expecting any announcement until probably latter 2022 if I'm being honest, and I could even see it reaching into 2023. I, I, it also comes into how they want to play it in terms of announcing things, and this goes back onto the Shenmue 3 experience, that I, if I was them, I wouldn't show anything until it was pretty much bang on and ready to go, so that you're not going to open yourselves up to criticism that happened last time. So I could see it being a little while yet. And GPT, are you hopeful for this year still or not? No, not this year. Um, not. Yeah, I'm just going to be selfish on this one. I'm, I have. I've always had it in my head. Um, COVID permitting, COVID non permitting, whatever way you want to look at it. If we get to the end of 2022, if we get to the end of next year, and there hasn't been anything, there hasn't been any sort of interview with you, Suzuki. There hasn't been any sort of mention. You know. 
I'm, I'll even go as far as to include a little tease, one of the old Cedric teases, you know. If we if we even <laughs> haven't had any of that, and there's just no mention of it, um, I don't know if worried is the right term. Maybe acceptance, just kind of like, yeah, I don't know anymore. I think just Shemi 3 happened. We had a crack at it. We should be thankful for that. But this has now been, you know, three years now after the release of Shenmue 3 mm. even though with COVID and we still haven't had a, a whisper I'd be, I would be concerned I would be remiss if I wouldn't say I would be concerned or worried and So you're saying sort of like the end of next year End of next year, that's, yes, that's 2022 be concerned, yeah. yeah. Okay, I mean we'll see how it goes, hopefully it's not going to be another 15 years away, I don't think we could take that or Yu Suzuki actually <laughs> Like you say, we've got the anime coming. You know, that's not done and dusted. That can only help. Yeah, you mentioned the Cedric tease as well. And this sort of feeds into what we were talking about off air is the tweet that he put out, I think it was Thursday or Friday this week, where a a fan was asking him on Twitter about Shenmue 4. And he just, he said three simple words, keep the faith. Mm. Now, you can interpret that in many different ways. Worst case scenario is they're working on something behind the scenes and, you know, keep keep going, keep going, we are still working. And best case scenario is that he sat there going, huh, we've got this green lip, boys, we're just waiting to tell you, sort of thing. Yeah, um, just, he can't hold it in. He's, he's he, you know, keep the faith, because <laughs> he knows. And he, we and we know he likes to tease. Yeah. We know he likes to tease, says Cedric. So I, I don't know. He, he's going to be in a position, more than most of us, to know, what the status of Shenmue 4 is, providing, of course, that he is still wanting to be involved in it. I imagine his tweet would suggest he is involved or wants to be involved in Shenmue 4. And at least that's something, right? You know what I mean? It's not like no one said anything. At least for him to even say anything at all is better than not. Yeah, exactly. And Cedric cares. You can tell. He mm-hmm. uh, he cares deeply about this franchise and getting this, this thing over the line. So I think... With he he does need to be involved anyway. I think I I think we'd lose something if he wasn't. But he like you say he could just say nothing. He could have ignored the question. So if he's not ignoring the question, it's for one of two reasons in my book. Either it's just to reaffirm, keep going, keep going, you know, keep pushing, keep pushing, like we are. Yeah. Or it's a or it's a very very slight. Well, there might be something going on behind the scenes, but we're not going to tell you just yet. But this is based on nothing other than guesswork. Great stuff, guys. I think we've covered all of those little elements very, very nicely, actually. You've both made some very valid points. So we're going to move into our last section of the show now. I'm going to have a little music break with your first wildcard choice with you, Matt. So what what was your wildcard Shenmue music pick? So this is from Shenmue 2. It is uh, Dragon Street at Night. It is probably in my top 10 favourite tracks of the whole Shenmue series. I know it's got the uh, little error in, in the recording, which was never fixed in the, <laughs> in the release stuff. Um, but... Yeah, it's it's such a good track. It's so easy listening, and I don't know, it just it just flows beautifully. So yeah, get listening. Okay, here it is.
Welcome back, that was Dragon Street at Night from Shemu 2. So just to wrap up the show today guys, I know it's becoming a bit of a beast already, but I just wanted to wind us down now with a little quiz, seeing as though we have a special guest today. I've got a short series of 10 questions, and since you both probably would ace Shemu as your chosen subject on a game of Mastermind, <laughs> we're going to get you guys to compete by actually just shouting out the answers. First person I hear with the correct answer oh. gets the point. <laughs> so that actually means you can interrupt oh, like... me asking the question and risk winning the point, but I'm going to read the question very carefully and slowly. And then we're going to break it up into little parts to give you guys like a little bit of a, a chance to interject if you want to. But obviously, it's going to come at a cost of losing a point. So I'm only going to take your first answer. So if that answer is incorrect, I'm going to give the other person a chance to answer for that point. Oh, so, I, I okay, so hopefully it doesn't get too mental. And don't worry, I'm not going to make you suffer like Casey does on the Sega Lounge Challenge. <laughs> Leave you hanging in suspense much <laughs> so guys are you ready to take on the shemu dojo challenge yeah all right guys yes, go for it. it let's do it okay question one so remember i'm going to say i'm going to break the question up in small segments and you can shout out an answer if you think you know what it's going to be um but just beware that if you get it wrong that's it so question one what is the name of the leg move that rio learns from Guizang towards the end of Shimmer 1. Swallow dive. Ooh, Peter. Peter got in there first. What was I wrong or was Matt right? No, you, you both said swallow dive, actually, didn't you? No, I, sa I said, what did I say? Swallow. Did I say? I don't even I remember what I said. I said swallow dive. Definitely, I think he's yeah. right. It's, it's swallow flip, isn't it? I think it's swallow dive, right? Because swallow, swallow flip, is, swallow flip is, is when Master yeah, the Chen. Master Chen with the kick. Oh, so who got that right? I'm well confused you, already. No, you got that right, Peter. <laughs> That's all that matters. I don't. There's just, just, there's no delay, right? You did, Matt. You heard Peter say. I we had said it before. I think you may have just pit me at it. Okay. I, I after I said it, I heard you coming in my ear, and your okay. your audio kind of bugged out a little bit. I don't know if that was just me <laughs> or you. Okay, <laughs> so we're gonna go with Peter on that one because I did hear the word swallow. And it, I didn't hear the word flip, so I swallow dive. I, I definitely said swallow dive. Okay, yeah. so Peter's got question one. So question two, what is the collective name given to the gang led by the character that's voiced by Eric Calso in Shemu 2? Heavens. Heavens. That sounds like Peter again to me. <laughs> I did stumble. I just had to go ran of heavens. I just went heavens. <laughs> Are you happy with that, Matt? It did yeah, sound like Peter yeah. again to me. Okay. Yeah, if you're up for disputing it, 100%. I, no. I don't mind disputing it. That's fine. Okay, question three. And obviously the, the podcast listeners are going to hear this. So if we do make any mistakes, I apologize. But so far, it sounds like Peter's got two. So question three, what do you need to pass through? So what do you need to pass through in order to reach... The abandoned temple where Rio leaves an offering of wine and buns to coerce its secluded master out. So what you need to pass through to get to the Sunflower. abandoned Sunflower. temple. That's Matt. Yeah, Matt didn't, he, that. didn't even bother finishing that. I was thinking of the yellow toy that you had to get the kid. <laughs> For some reason, that, the toy tractor was in my head. and I think I, I seen the separate say quest. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I, just, I was just saying what area do you need to pass through? And Matt got that. He said the Sunflower Grove, and that was the correct answer. 
Question four. What is the age of the bottle of Lao Joe? 50. 50. Okay, Peter got that one. I'll finish the question. Which you need to buy in order to learn the body check move from Master Sun. So it's the 50-year-old Lao Joe. Uh, Peter. So Peter, three to one at the moment. It's intense. <laughs> question five. What is the name of the location that Rio has to visit in order to meet with the Adasan to gain his job of a forklift driver in Shemu 1. Alpha Tree, yeah. Alpha. Peter again. Yeah. What were you going to say, Matt? <laughs> I just went blank. <laughs> no, you, you, I thought you were going to say something else. I, I like that you, you kind of wait until the end of the questions as well. Um, and you have no idea how hard that is. Oh my god! <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to. You, if if you know what it is, so say when I said Yadasan. No, but I know I know you're going to be an absolute. I know you're going to throw some curveballs in there. I have. To, I can't get these wrong. I just can't do it. <laughs> Question six: How many hours is Rio given in order to reach the harbor to rescue Nozomi from the four Oh, I think it is four. I wrote four. I did that from memory. It's definitely four, right? I I'm not gonna lie. I don't know if it's right or wrong. I'm literally guessing on instinct. I'm near sure. I for some reason I, I don't know. I probably should have checked. But well, I, 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 how long can you not put it up on the dojo? The notebook. Do you know the notebook hmm. entries. Let's just put it in oh. YouTube. Show <laughs> um, me one. Harbour Rescue. You need to get there, but is it 3 p.m. or 3 a.m. or is it 4 a.m.? 3.30. What? What? It's not three and a half, is it? Apparently. I might be reading the wrong thing, to be fair. Hang on. So 11.45, he wakes up. I, th I swear he says you've got four hours, right? You can just... On, on the chai, chai on the phone call, I'm sure he says you have four hours. You know there's people listening to this podcast right now. Screaming the answer at us. Oh, probably. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, I know the game's inside out. Yeah, four hours. I give you four hours. It's only because oh, Matt said three, is what made me look at that. I of thought, course, four, yeah, yeah, it was a fact. And then because he said three, I start doubting myself as well. Going, yeah. I actually think of you. If we, I don't know, I'll have to listen to this back, but I'm near sure I did say bollocks because I thought <laughs> I got it wrong then. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I thought he said it, and I was like, oh no, I've gotten that wrong. There you go. I'll take a screenshot in case. You didn't see. So in the chat there, I've put that. I'll give you four <laughs> hours or else. Okay. Right. We've uh, <laughs> we got to the bottom of that one anyway. So Peter again. So is Matt able to still win? Let me see. Two, three, four, Nine. five. So five. You could five. You could go five, five because there's ten questions. Oh, have you got a decider? So, yeah. So you're gonna have to up the game. Oh, I haven't actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I can come up with something though. Okay. Question seven. Anyway, get ready, guys. So what's the name? of the apartments in which Rio is given free accommodation for by shooing Yantin apartments in you which want he earns help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter's got it. Da, da Yuan apartments. Ah, uh, bollocks. So okay, what's the name the of the apartments one. in which Rio is given free accommodation Yantin, for by shooing in which he earns by helping uh, the books out at Manro Temple in Shemu 2? <laughs> okay, let's just carry on anyway. So question eight. What's the name of the shop in which Rio and Ren scout out 
in order to track down and eventually follow Yuan in Shenmue 2's Three Birds building. This is a shop on the rooftop. Name Birds Flower Shop. You've got anything? Flower Shop? Any, any? No, I haven't got anything. I'm blank. Okay, I'm going to give it to Peter. It's flower Nine Birds Shop. Nine Birds Shop. Why did I, I don't think know why you said flower. Nine Birds Flower Shop. Nine Birds Panic. Shop. <laughs> okay, question nine. The Verdant Bridge in Shemu 3 is guarded by two lookouts, but can you give me the name of the guy in the blue top? Oh, bugger me. Liu and... Shiren? Yeah, Matt's got that one. I'll give you that one. I, yeah, I Shiren, his surname's Wang, actually, or that could be his first name. Shiren Wang. And question 10. Hopefully Casey isn't listening. I was going to rip him off for this next one. But, guys, first come, first serve. Name a character from any game in the series beginning with the letter M. For Mark. Oh, fuck's sake, I'll just give you one. <laughs> any other character beside okay. Mark? Mark. Um, beginning with M. My mind's just gone completely and already blank. I'm thinking of NPCs for some reason. Um, I'm... I've gone blank. It's just completely... What the hell? It's hard, isn't it? It is hard. I've got a massive list. Uh, what Fukusan's oh, first name is Bollocks. Masahaya. That's it. That was what I was going for. I'll give you that one. Masayuki Fukuhara. Masayuki. Yeah, just from Shemi 1 alone, I've got Megumi. I've got the cat Mimi. Good night, folks. I've got Master Chen. I'm retiring, I think. Mario, the pizza, Miki, Miami, oh, Mai, you could have said Mai, and Mark, I did kind of screw up and said Mark, but <laughs> I, so, yeah. Matt takes that one anyway, so let me have a quick tally the score, so Peter, Peter, 8-2 was it, you got, yeah. I thought you got 3, didn't you Matt, because you got Shuren as well, 7-3, oh, 7-3 to Peter, Peter takes it. I'm happy. I watch the cheers every day. <laughs> I'll probably insert some <laughs> clapping or some applause or something sound effect there. <laughs> so that's it, guys. I mean, it's been an absolute blast today. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, Peter. Hope you enjoyed your time. Absolutely. Listen, guys, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on this. This has been an absolute blast. I can't even emphasize that enough. Just sitting around for a few hours talking about Shemu is an it's a pleasure. I, I just thank you so much. It, it even just makes you feel great about the f- series, even though we're in a little bit of a lull at the moment, just talking about it in depth with like guys I like love and respect, such as you guys. And just really going in deep into a Shemi conversation is, is something amazing. So thank you so much, Matt and James, for having me on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, man. It's been a really, really enjoyable show. Uh, I, I just want to say I'll, how amazing I think you both did actually answering questions. I've not got really much to edit out really because you're just so on the number, so precise, so coherent with your answers. So I want to applaud you both for that because I know all the way around I'd be uh, so <laughs> blurting my words out, not really knowing what I'm saying. So I think you did a great job today, both of you. Awesome, dude. Thank you so much. And I want to thank also to our listeners out there consuming all our content, subscribing to the show, of course, keeping the discussion alive over on the forums. 
taking part in the Let's Get Chemi 4 monthly tweetathons on the 4th of every month, and of course, for being a part of this big Shemu family. So with that being said, we're going to close the show out with your wildcard music pick, Peter. So what you got for us? Oh, okay. Um, yes. So it's one of my favorite tracks from Shemu 2. Um, I love, I love the ap- atmosphere, the atmosphere and the feeling of this track gives you for unknown reasons at this point in the game. But um, funny enough, like one of the quiz questions, whenever you're tracking down Yuan, you have to go to the top of the Three Birds building and it is the theme track that plays over the roof section of the Three Birds building. It's just so dramatic and eerie and probably not the best track to close out a show with, but nonetheless, I absolutely adore it. I think a lot of Shami fans fans out there adore it as well. So enjoy. That's a, a nice sort of coincidence there, again with the Three Birds building, but great music pick altogether. So, awesome stuff, guys. Until next time, from myself, Matt and Peter, take care and come back in one piece. Take care, everybody. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks for listening, guys. Look at the time.